The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Good morning? <laughs> well, I don't know. I just don't know. How do you get mo- good Morgan? Or is that a different language? I think that's Captain, isn't it? Oh, it is Captain Morgan. <laughs> good morning, Captain Morgan. What did you have for breakfast? <laughs> I had Captain Morgan and Cheerios. <laughs> Yum. Wow. So this should be a good show then, right? Yeah, should be. <laughs> well, I'm Veda with Palladio Garden. Kenneth will be here in a few. I guess he's out early morning gardening. And we have Jim, who is the recliner liner couch potato. But in reality, he's um, the administrator of our Facebook page. Yes. If you're not a member, please join. Had Um, fun yesterday on the Facebook page. Yes, we do. And and we get into some good discussions. Uh, We got into one this week uh, about um, uh, Bradford pears. I was going to ask, can we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, I saw. I read that nice long article on the Bradford pears. Yes, I was sad when you actually told me that um, all those beautiful Bradford pears that I see on the side of the road and in um, pastures with trees and all that that actually was not the native. They're not really Bradfords either. Okay, yeah, They're, they're crosses between other calorie pears and 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 some are crosses with wild pears that we already had. Well, they um, hang in there pretty well. They do. That's yeah. the thing. All of the calorie pears that I know of are um, are not self-fertile, so they can't fertilize themselves. So if you plant two Bradfords next to each other, if there's no other pollen around, they're not going to produce uh, mm-hmm. seedlings. Uh, however, the other calorie pears will cross with them, and we after we fir- they first came in the country uh, around the shortly after the turn of the century, mm-hmm. they were using them for um, to try to get some of the disease traits out of them into American pears, um, and then somewhere along the line they thought, hey, this is really pretty. Let's release this thing, yeah, uh, and because uh, it it has does have pretty it smells mm-hmm. terrible, but it has pretty flowers. Uh, and it has good fall color, so they did. They released them, and everybody planted them. Uh, and of course, they were first planted on universities, and, and just about the time they really kicked in for, for homeowners, they were beginning to cut them down on universities <laughs> because they, when they're young, they're, they, well, first of all, they have weak wood in the trunk, but when they're young, they're sort of upright, and they're not as much of a catcher's mitt for <laughs> wind yeah but as they mature they become more sh- spade shaped and they mm-hmm. get quite wide at the base and uh, and they just end up slitting so uh they, they were inferior tree shouldn't have been introduced but right yeah i was reading that back when they were doing all of that they were just sure it wasn't going to pollinate yeah and and do seeds and then saw in parentheses but they were wrong yes they were <laughs> they were wrong but, you know, I think of all these years as us recommended not to plant that I really don't see them being planted anymore. Not as much. You know, mm-hmm. we still carried, Dan West, when I worked there, we still carried capital on occasionally mm-hmm. some Chanticleer. And there was one other one that I can't think of the name of right now that mm-hmm. were, they are calorie pears like Bradford's, but they are, uh, they have a harder wood uh, and less prone to splitting i didn't say split proof they're just less prone <laughs> yeah. to it well so. it was a bummer though because of the blooms and the fall color yeah. now in um 
Central Texas, when I was living there for a while, the Bradford pears were planted everywhere for the fall color, but we don't have that weather like we have in Memphis, mm-hmm. where we were in Central Texas. So they performed pretty well. But otherwise, since we can't do that tree now, we're just going to say can't do it. You like the white blooms, you could go with the um, the goat's beard tree. Isn't that what some people call that? American. Uh, no, it's a, um, the, uh, I know. Gracie's got... gray beard. Yes, yes. yes. The uh, French tree, American French tree, oh, yeah. or the Chinese French tree. Uh, yeah. Both of them are, are pretty. Um, well, that could give you some white flowers. Yeah. And, and we talked about last week the um, uh, Japanese snowbell. Yeah. Great I tree. I have one of those. And um, I, it's easy to bonsai. Easy to keep uh, pruned up if you start when it's younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, surprising. And then um, also the... Uh, that tree. Yeah, I was going to say, I have five <laughs> of those. <Yeah. laughs> um, let's see, what else do we have? You know, have we planted, I've seen Chinese pistache here before, have I? Yes, yeah, we used to sell a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're great trees, very hard wood, um, fabulous fall color. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that's a good tree. Hmm. We need to, I need to get more of those because that has a great fall color, too, yeah. also. And that's not a huge tree, either. Because I'm trying to think of other... Because, you know, usually somebody goes, I need kind of a small tree, maybe blooms, and we just say crepe myrtle, crepe myrtle, crepe myrtle. <laughs> Which, yeah, you almost have to have a crepe myrtle, but I want some oh, other varieties. Yeah, there, there's so many other things that will bloom for summer color, you know. Uh, I, I love um, Althea's. You know, yeah. just don't buy the ones that, you know, are self-seeding. Uh, mm-hmm. And most of the ones on the market now aren't. They're yeah. sterile. Gosh, it's uh, got the most beautiful bloom. And you can do those tree season. form, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. There are some that lend themselves to that better than mm-hmm. others. But, yes, uh, you can train them up tree form. You can shear them back as a hedge if you want to. Oh, looky here. I can't. Don't start at this party without me. Yeah, we did start without you. I was out shopping for Bradford pears this morning. Were you? Yeah, I found a few um, in the trash pile. Want to dig a few out there in the woods? (laughs) Did you, like, take one of the limbs and stick it in the ground to see if it would root? No, but honestly, (laughs) when I go home every night, Uh I don't park in the driveway. I park in the cove on the curb right there, Mm. okay? And right over... Where I park is a pear. Mm, nice. Not a Bradford pear. <laughs> and even last weekend when we were talking about these dang things splitting, I'm thinking, hmm. Will this one do the this same? This one's been here for quite yeah. a while. I've got faith in this one, but I'm probably taking a chance parking right? every day where I'm parking, you know? Oh, these silly trees. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe in the middle of the night, I'll go out there and just cut what? it down, even though it's not mine. And um, Kenneth, I got a question for yeah. you. What tree do you not plant in your front yard? A tulip poplar. <laughs> Thank Tennessee you. State tree. Do and I didn't plant it in my front uh, yard, by the way. It yeah. was there when, was, I, when we moved in the house. And at the, when I moved in, it was young enough and small mm-hmm. enough to where I could have dug it up. Yeah. No problem. But our house faces dead west. Mm-hmm. And Gina was like, no, we need that tree. It's already got a little grove to it to kind of shade, you know, whatever. 
part of the house we can shade because the sun is just beating the front of the house. And as usual, Gina's right. Yeah, and no, and 20 years later, 20 now years later, it is a massive tree in a small pie-shaped front yard. Mm-hmm. Doesn't belong there, never belong there. So, you know, so many of our listeners have, have I, I know have we have people that listen for years and years and years, yeah. and they've got to follow the growth rate of your tree. I know, it is crazy. <laughs> so it's going to be, everybody's waiting. I what year it, is it coming down? Uh, I think so we have an underground movement going around to try to get rid of that tree for yes. him. Yes. yes. Um, so we, so just, we don't have to hear about it anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, right. so we can just stop it with that conversation. Yeah, but then I'm thinking, you know, other than a maple, you know, what tree mm-hmm. would I put in? A, a smaller pie-shaped front yard that well, faces west, but I still need the... The shade. Well, we came up with the Nancy Graybeard, the Ameri- the fringe tree. The yes, American, I don't think those that, are going to get... Well, the fringe tree yeah, might I get guess, big enough for me. Yeah, yeah especially well, the Graybeard. Not really to cast, to protect your house from the afternoon no, sun. I mean, the tree does a great job. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're going to need something 30, 35 yeah. feet tall. It's maybe a maple out there. Because yeah. I guess that... Trident my, maple yeah. or... Um, I might even go with some of the... Even, even just the Acer palmatum, the green leaf... Uh, it'll get that tall, so and and grow rather rapidly. You know, so think about you go. yeah, maybe yeah, because I guess that uh, the American fringe tree would shade the front of your house, but not really get over yeah, the shade the on door. the right. yeah, yeah the roof and all of that, where you need everything shaded. But you know, people don't want to go with oak trees sometimes because they think that they're all like humongous trees. And I love oak trees. Yeah, but mm. there are some that are pinnacle shaped that don't have such a wide uh, tree span, like uh, the Schumard, red oak. That one's more pinnacle and not as wide. Well, I, and I tell you, it's one of those things where when people are planting trees, they do need to understand, you know, at the maturity, when this thing matures, how big is this tree going to be? You can see trees that are placed in strategic uh, locations that are absolutely beautiful, and they're exactly where they should be. You can see a lot of trees, like the tulip poplar in my front yard, that doesn't belong anywhere where it is. You know, so and it does make a big difference because later on in life, like this tree that's in my front yard, eventually I'm gonna probably have to take this tree down. Okay, do you have uh, a fireplace? I do. Now, so it'll be a benefit. Why uh, do you need to take it? It is the down? messiest thing. I mean, um, I love the I, I love tulip poppers. Mm-hmm. I just don't like this one where it is. I mean, they are messy. I mean, it oh, is. Oh, so it's just more work. Yeah, for and, you. And, and, and I've got mm-hmm. roots coming up in the front oh, yard. That, well, you know, that bother me. And, and you know, I got my driveway right over there. You know, I've got my neighbor's driveway on the other side over there. It's just a small front yard. Well, and, judging by what Kenneth said. He sounds like a caller. I've got roots everywhere. Yeah. What uh, can what can I do? What ground cover are you going to plant, Kenneth? Because we're just not going to let you have a lawn. Well, your you favorite know what I, you thing. Know what I, you know what I did two years ago? I just brought in a load of topsoil and mm-hmm. kind of feathered everything in and then just resodded with yeah. zoysia instead of Bermuda that I used to have beautiful Bermuda, by the way, because you know, it loved all the sun that I used to get. So I just kind of covered all the... Um, I just covered the roots up, and I've got zoysia growing. Well, and I know they're going to come back up, and I'll just keep doing it. Next thing you know, I'll have a front yard that's five feet taller than it used I to be. Know, right. And then the tree will die because the soil is all around the base. <laughs> Not a problem. All right, y'all, we're going to take a break. Give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Uh, Ken is gone again. Where'd he go? <laughs> we'll get this all together soon. 
So uh, we were talking about the small ornamental trees, and there's not a really a small tree. You know, we're always asking for small trees. Everyone is, but... Dwarf Alberta Spruce is a small tree. Well, I guess that is a tree, isn't it? I remember the garden nursery, garden nursery, like we had to put everything in categories, Mm -hmm. vines, trees, shrubs. Where'd you put crepe myrtles? Right, I know. That was exactly the thing. We would go, well, is crepe myrtle a shrub or is it a tree? Uh, There were so many plants like that. All right, let's vote on that. What is it? Is crepe myrtle a shrub or a tree? It's a tree form shrub from time to time. That's that's a good answer. Right. That's not a good answer. Oh, what is it, Jim? It's a shrub. Well, that's I what I say. It could be say. a tree form yeah. shrub from time to time. No. Well, he, yeah. he didn't look. Okay. He didn't put that time in there. Oh, see, Jim's. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> a shrub typically is a plant normally that's under twenty feet and has multiple trunks. Normally. Well, yeah. Okay. Now. Crape myrtle happens to be a multiple trunk tree. Mm-hmm. And some of the original ones like Natchez or at, oh, yeah. at the USDA are nearly 50 feet tall. Mm. Okay. Um, but 50? Corre- yeah. Wow. Correctly, they are shrubs. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you see them uh, sometimes sucker up. And then they've got all these limbs on it, and they're growing naturally like a, a shrub. Yeah, I've if seen you were to few. leave it alone, yeah. it would have whole kinds of trunks. Right. You wouldn't see the base of them. You know, it's we trim them up. You know what? And, yeah. and I was pressured, you know, by society, I guess. <laughs> I, I planted some crepe myrtles on the back fence of my backyard uh, about four years ago. And they were growing just fine. And about two years later, uh, two years ago, we had that uh, really cold spell that killed a lot of crepe myrtles. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. And mine were actually killed to the ground, believe it or not. And they came back up like gangbusters, I'm telling you. And they were just, hadn't been, hadn't, didn't prune them at all, mm-hmm. had never pruned these things. And they looked great as they, as they came out of the ground. And they got to be about six foot tall. And I said, you know what? I can't. Even though I love this look, mm-hmm. I've got to tree form these things because that's what people yeah, do, right? You just feel it. And, yeah. and so now I've got them tree formed. I still love that look, too. Don't get me wrong. But I was, I was really teetering on whether I should even touch these things or not. Hmm. Typically, you don't see crepe myrtles that have not been pruned some way, somehow. Yeah, you know, there are some that only get six feet tall. And they, well, we got well, you know, a couple that only get about 18 inches tall. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but those are meant really to be cut down to the ground each mm. year and let them come back up. You get your biggest flowers on them, uh, and then you just cut them back down at the end of the year. Uh, if you want them tree form, then you buy one that gets that tall. Well, this is a catabas, and, that, you know, it's kind of a lavender color, and yeah. they're going to get big, but... Yeah. You know, I, I was just curious, you know, should I even touch these mm-hmm. things or just let them do what they do Yeah, naturally? But no, I was no. pressured into uh, tree forming. Tree forming them. Well, and also you heard Jim say that there's uh, crepe myrtles that are only 18 inches tall. And then yeah. there's some that are three inches, three feet tall. Um, I don't see those much. I know we tried to sell them in the retail garden the little center. Miniatures. Yeah. And. People just couldn't grasp it at the moment. They didn't want to see that as a shrub because it's a tree to them. But can you imagine? I've never seen like a row of those planted because that would be some great spring blooms. It would. Summer, I mean. A lot of them tend to get burned during the wintertime. Yeah. Uh, they're really, I think, better suited in, in containers. 
Mm, uh, that's a pretty thought. And yeah. just look, you know, cut them back each year. Of course, you <clears> run the risk because crape myrtles don't grow a whole lot further north than here um, that you might lose them. But, I mean, you lose annuals every year. Right. You just plant another one in there. Yeah. But they'll give you a long, long bloom season. Well, I uh, did write down in my notes uh, that, speaking of crape myrtles, and we, you know, cover this, I know we beat it to death, but... You know, Don't say the word. Oh, yeah, crepe myrtle bark scale. Oh. I had to say it. And, <laughs> you know, it's a real thing. Now, it's not as widespread, I don't think, as it was, you know, six or seven years ago when it first started just cutting across, you know, Memphis. But, uh, you know, the tree and shrub insect drench, the product that you mix with water and pour around the trunk of the tree, is the best product out there to control crepe myrtle bark scale. And this, starting now, Mm -hmm. uh, is the time to get that drench out there. Be proactive and protect these uh, crepe myrtles. Uh, In fact, you know, these same crepe myrtles I was talking about a second ago, I've noticed some little white bumps. Coming back up On the trunk. uh, Yeah. Yeah, and I've never had it before in my life. Um, But I'm going to go out there either this weekend or next Mm -hmm. weekend and drench my crepe myrtles to protect them from that crepe myrtle bark scale. Because the next thing you know, the trunks start turning black from the sooty mold. It just looks horrible. Now, the only stipulation with the drench is you just don't want to use that product if the ground is already waterlogged. So if it's really wet, you know, hold off and let that soil dry up before you come back and apply that product. But, I mean, I've got them, you know. And there's not a lot of crepe myrtles, honestly, uh, in my neighborhood or around me, but right on the other side of the fence, guys, there's one crate myrtle that my neighbor has on the uh, other side of the fence, and it doesn't look good at all. Mm. So I, again, I know where they came from. Your tree. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just the other way around. And if there's any way I could get back there, I would even drench that crate right. myrtle, but I can't. So. Well, let's, we could go about this backwards, too. Not backwards. Well, if but it's right next to the fence, you should be able to on your side. Well, you're right. Maybe on it with a ladder in the... No, no, no. On your side. Well, because the roots yeah, will reach right. out oh, over. You know, Jim, now, you okay. won't get all the way around the tree, obviously. But, but it'll get some of something. it. You should be able to do it. Something's better yeah. than nothing. Well, that's going to happen. I'm telling you. Um, yeah, I've I got lost to, my train Got to treat thought. my, my uh, camellias this year. I'm beginning to see a little oh, bit of yeah. T-scale on them. Now, same way, you can either spray them or you can drench them. Yeah, I, I drench them. You know, it's just so much easier And the beauty me. of that product, as we all know, is especially... Um, on the crepe myrtles is you know and, and the camellias you just mix it with water and you pour it but you only have to do it really one time per growing That's season true. Yeah. and i remembered what i was going to say was like a lot of people see all that black sooty mold on their tree starting in the summertime and um i'm sure that a lot of you are saying that i don't see the crepe myrtle bark scale so i don't need to treat but if you go ahead and treat with the tree, the systemic with the tree now, I mean, we even get aphids on the crepe myrtles, mm-hmm. other things that um, have that secretion that that, that sooty mold mm-hmm. grows on. So still, if we, if you don't have crepe myrtle bark scale, you can still treat for the other insects that are causing that black sooty mold. Yeah, hackberry aphids, it's great to treat hackberries to prevent those. Uh, so, yeah, it's anything that you have scale... Uh, or an aphid issue on it, it's a great product. Well, Especially if they're tall plants. And it is, yeah. you know, virtually non-toxic to mammals. So it's, you know, safe around children and pets. Keep them off of it till it dries. 
um, but it's very safe to use. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to do mine. And, I, you know, if I have time, I'll even do it, you know, this weekend. But I want to just make sure that the ground is not saturated or waterlogged, you know, before I do it. It does need to be a, a little bit on the dry side before you apply that product. And I'm telling you, it works. And if you do the research and read about crepe myrtle bark scale, I mean, it's really the only product yeah, that is. they're recommending, you know. Uh, to kill scale. I mean, typically, you know, for scale forever in a day, we've gone out there and sprayed with an oil spray. Yeah. Uh, whether it's neem oil, hort oil, uh, you know, uh, paraffinic oil, whatever. We've always sprayed with an oil to control scale. Uh, and, and, and it does a good job, but not so much on this particular type of scale. That's why, you know, we talk about this tree and shrub drench. That is the one product that will kill that, <laughs> that insect. So, and keep in mind also, when we hear this all the time, especially on even crepe myrtles, and, and Jim, you mentioned the camellias, that if you go out there and, and apply your product, whether it's an oil like on the camellias or the drench on either one, you'll kill the scale, but the scale are not going to fall off and go away overnight. Uh, they're like a barnacle, okay? And eventually they'll dry up and flake off and go away, but it doesn't happen overnight. So you'll have scale up there that are dead scale, but they're just not gone yet. Yeah. So keep that in mind. So you can go scratch the bar, yeah. scratch that scale. And what's really bizarre is under the scale is red. It looks like it has Well, the blood. live scale, yeah, yeah the is live. nasty. I know. It's so weird. I'm like, I didn't know scale could have red blood. But that's probably the meaty part of the scale. Yeah, they're nasty. <laughs> you know. And, and then let me say this real quick. I know we only got like 30 seconds. There is this little fuzzy white thing that mm-hmm. will run up and down the trunk of your crepe myrtle. <laughs> And that's actually the millibug destroyer. That right. thing is not a bad bug. It's actually a good bug. I'm visualizing that little bug right oh, just up getting the it. He's actually eating the larva of the crate myrtle bar scale. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening on KWAM 990. You can stream us online, kwamradio.com. Yeah, or the uh, Mighty 990 Facebook page. And if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926. And I uh, see on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, we got uh, Jen and Jamie, of course. And then we got Mr. Paul Little. Uh, our, our buddies. Yeah, oh, dirt buddies. And uh, even Gina, uh, my wife, is up this morning tuning what? in. So, yeah, the Mighty 990s. So, yeah, we appreciate it. Hey, Gina. So, if you want to give us a ta- uh, text, the Mighty 990 Facebook page or kwamradio.com, guys. Um, hey, hydrangeas. You know, a lot of times we'll go to the garden center and we'll purchase a beautiful, old-fashioned, big-leaf hydrangea. And let's say it's got these beautiful pink blooms on it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the next year, these things come out just as blue as they can. And you're like, no, I bought this thing because I wanted pink blooms. Or just the opposite. You bought pink and you want blue, right? We all know that you can change the color of the bloom on a hydrangea. Um, and it's very simple. I mean, because it, it, it all comes down to the acidity or the alkalinity of the soil, Correct. So if you want to make them pink, you add lime, okay? Because the higher the pH, the more Mm -hmm. pink they're going to be. If you want to make them blue, you add something like aluminum sulfate. But I was reading 
uh, and I read again last night that it's easier to change the flowers from um, blue to pink than it is to change them from pink to blue. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It seems like that would be the case. I don't know why pink seems lower and blue seems higher. Uh, well, I know, but it, but it's just easier to change them to pink than it is to change them to blue. Is that like universal or just maybe in Memphis? Could be. Well, it was surely here in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I uh, would tell people to do, if you, if you do want the blue blooms on the big leaf hydrangeas instead of the pink blooms, you know, I mentioned the word aluminum sulfate. And aluminum sulfate, you can apply either dry, you know, mm-hmm. sprinkle that around the plant and water it in thoroughly. Or you can mix a tablespoon to a gallon of water and just saturate the roots of these hydrangeas. Um, so, you know, and they say do it, you know, once a month for about three months if you're doing the aluminum sulfate. And like I said, a tablespoon to a gallon of water once a month for three months. And you should see a difference if you do that. You and know? so if we started putting it on now, now, do you think it would go ahead and change them by by when the time they're blooming? Definitely have a chance, yeah. But you need to go ahead and start early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, a tablespoon to a gallon of water or follow the directions on there to use it dry. But you still want to make sure that you water it in thoroughly. But it's funny how... You know, typically, you know, they're, they're beautiful whether they're pink or blue, no doubt about it. But everybody, it seems like, wants that blue color. And the thing that I've seen too often is when people go out to a treat, they throw a little bit underneath the plant, mm-hmm. and that isn't going to get it. Yeah, the drip you, line, Jim. You, well, you need to get well beyond the drip line because yeah. those roots are going to extend. If you've got a plant that's five feet tall, you're going to have roots about four to five feet beyond the tips mm-hmm. of the limbs. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure that you cover, you want some up underneath it, but you need a much larger circle than the circle of the plant. Yeah, and and I, sure I, I still like the, the idea up. of diluting the product and pouring it out there. Because yeah. like you best. can really just saturate that whole root zone, mm-hmm. uh, a tablespoon, like I said, to a gallon of water. Yeah, and you'll get better color, universal color. Uh, you know, I've got one that I, for a while I was throwing lime on one side and aluminum sulfate on the other. Uh, and you get this nice, you know, assortment of colors on there. The deep, the purples are somewhere in between. Exactly the right. And the pink. So uh, there's all kinds of neat stuff you can do. You that know. sounds so beautiful. Yeah, I like that. Lime on one side, sulfur on the other. And also, though, think about how long your hydrangea has been planted. If it's only... Um, been planted like a couple of months or, or maybe even no. one season, the roots aren't going to be that far out That's on right. a new one. So it, you it's might gonna just be start about, in. Again, about 50% bigger than your the top of the plant. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you want to make sure you get the entire root ball. And then, you know, we can acidify the soil different ways. And you mentioned even using just plain sulfur, granulated sulfur, or even a dusting sulfur. But I really pr- would prefer in this case to use the aluminum sulfate, because the aluminum has something to do with it also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the aluminum sulfate, and like Jim said, you can do it on one side, put lime on the other, and have a bicolored, uh, you know, or have a hydrangea that has more than one colored yeah. blue. It doesn't identify as blue or pink. Exactly. Right. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, but if you, the reason I bring that up, because a lot of people love those blue blooms, and my point is you can't wait till they start blooming to all of a sudden change the color of that bloom. 
if you you got to think ahead. If you want those blooms to be a particular color, you got to start now. Hey, wasn't there a time where they were saying don't use aluminum in the soil? Well, they don't want you to overdo aluminum mm-hmm. sulfate because you can build a toxicity in the soil. Mm-hmm. And we see people go out there if it says you know two pounds per hundred square feet, well ten's got to be mm-hmm. better. Not in this case. And that's why, ideally, I like diluting the product, a tablespoon to a gallon of water, and just pouring it, because that way you're not going to overdo it. And an important part of all of this, all the time, is checking your pH and knowing what it is. You know, somewhere in the five to five and a half range is going to give you the really blue flowers. And around six is going to be purple, and then from about six, five up to over seven is going to give you the Mm -hmm. pinkest flowers. Right. And don't stress, because you don't have to get a bunch of soil and take it in or send it into a lab to test it. For what we're doing, you can just get a a soil tester, a pH tester. Or even a pH meter. I mean, we're not being, you don't have to be super accurate. meter. (laughs) Trying to come up with the word. Meter. Um, yeah, and they're real easy to use. So that and they way. They last forever. Can... No batteries in them. I mean, you can buy one for under 30 bucks mm-hmm. or probably less than, you know, well, I've got one I've had for 25, 30 years. Uh, well, know. mine only lasted six months because I just left it in the bottom of the toolbox and we no. threw tools on top. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> you don't want to, the inexpensive ones like that, you don't want to shove them down into concrete. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, your soil needs to be moist so it's easy to to put down in there but uh, it does give you a, a good enough reading of yeah, yeah. always make sure that the end of it is made out of tin and so you need to make sure that you clean that it will oxidize and if you don't get that off you're going to get a false reading mm-hmm. so you need and to it take, comes with its own little scratch sponge right. that you just rub that with yeah or you know i'll use steel wool after i've lost that little sponge mm-hmm. so you know yeah. whatever you need to do but you got to get that clean to get a good reading. And, and I've read also, uh, or and I've heard people in the past said they used Epsom salts to try to change mm-hmm. the color, and it's just not going to do it. I mean, Epsom salts, you know, it might make your leaves greener, uh, and it might make your whiters more white, but it's not going to change those pinks and blues one way or the other. So, you know, don't think that using Epsom salts, a lot of people for some reason yeah. think that, that it's going to make a difference, and it absolutely makes no difference whatsoever. And one thing I was going to say, too, is you need to, on your meters, put them in the soil and then wait a minute to let them actually read. Because I'd noticed the girls in the garden center were using it, but they were sticking it in there real quick. Dry, dry, wet, dry. Yeah. Like, now watch this. And we put it in there and waited, and it changed. You know, it moved from dry up to wet. So if they had followed the meter... By just putting it in there for a minute, pulling it out, they would have overwatered. Over well, also, and not only what you're saying, the moisture meter, but also the uh, the pH meter, especially with the pH meter. the If you're checking the pH with the meter, that soil needs to be moist. Mm-hmm. It can't be dry soil. You're going to, you know, there's no telling what kind of reading you're going to get. Yeah. And we've got this very accurate meter that we use when people bring soil up to Dan West and we just do a free pH test. But you're right, Veda. If you stick that meter in, Jim, you stick that meter into dry soil, and then that same soil, you go wet it and stick it in there, you're going to get a different reading. So I promise you, if you're ever checking your pH yourself with the meter, make sure that that soil is moist before you push that probe down there. Yeah, because... You know, you can't get it in the soil anyway when it's that hard, so don't try, (laughs) because I've seen that happen, too. We had a 
house plant that had been in a container for a while and it was also planted and had some rock in there for the drainage. And she was trying to read the moisture, but it was so compact and the rock was in there, she kept hitting it. And so she pushed it down in there and I'm thinking, well, let's get another one yeah. because I bet that just messed it all up. And let me ask you this, though, and Jim and, and Veda is... You know, it's said that it's always easier to change the color from blue to pink than it is from pink to blue. And I scratch my head on that because it seems like you could acidify the soil faster than you could raise the pH using lime. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're using the aluminum sulfate, you're using it typically in a liquid form that you're pouring, and it starts to work immediately to where generally if you put lime down instead of fast lime, you know, that works faster, you know, it takes a longer time. So I just thought that was kind of strange reading that. Um, but regardless, I mean, inven- eventually, invariably, you know, if the soil's acidic, the blooms are going to be blue. If the soil is alkaline, the blooms are going to be pink. And if it doesn't even happen in one season, don't give up. You know, you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. You'll eventually get those blooms the right. color you want them to be. And then you could use, like, to keep a good fertilization method on your plants you could use like the holly tone because it helps acidify you would still have to first to get the color right use either the aluminum sulfate or the lime to get it where you want it to get it where you want it and then you could kind of hold it there Mm -hmm. with the holly tone because that's got a little extra of the aluminum sulfate in it or you can go with Garden Tone, which has a little more lime, and then you're getting a full feeding also. And, and Jim, how long does it take to to all? I mean, you know, pH doesn't like to be messed with, Mm-mm. it seems like. No, your soil's very stable. It's hard to change it. Yeah, so you, I guess you at some point, it maybe depending on what typically soil you have in your yard, you've got to be patient when you're trying to change this pH. It's not going to happen overnight. No, you'll get some initial change, but if you were using pelletized lime, for it to absolutely run its total course can take up to two years. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, so you just got to keep adding until you get the color but, you want. Well, like I said, thank goodness there is fast line. That breaks down faster. But even that, you still got to be patient with. Yeah, but you don't want to take a plant that's at five and try to make it seven. Yeah. You know, if, we've talked about this before the the lime about 40 pounds of pelletized lime per thousand square feet Mm -hmm. will raise it about half a point but half a point's about all you want to raise it Mm -hmm. when you start pushing it up one or one and a half or two you can actually lock up some nutrients Mm -hmm. and send the plant Mm -hmm. into sort of a ph shock so you know work it up slowly Uh, if you if you want it pink, then once you get it to pink, then don't put holly tone on it. Put rose tone on it. It's mm-hmm. not going to lower your pH. Or the garden tone. Just like don't let it see the label. It'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It All won't right. know. It, it, well, I was going to say it's not going to know, <laughs> is it? Okay, we're going to head out again for a few. Give us a call at two six zero five nine two six. Good morning and welcome back to KWAM, Mid-South Gardening. So one thing that I wanted to make comment that we just said was you said we could only don't raise the pH, pH more than about or half don't a try point. to. And you right. mean at a time, not, right. not for the whole entire no. time. But no, right, you know, put down what you think is going to raise at a half a point. Wait 60 days or so, test mm-hmm. it, then reapply 
Uh, you just don't want to dump a whole lot of lime reacts based on the size of the particle. Okay, and when you get pelletized lime, you'll have some that are coarse. Those are going to take the two years to break down. But you're going to get a high percentage of very fine ones. Those are going to change the pH rapidly. So you're going to have a higher percentage of that rapid-changing lime, and you don't want to put all that down at one time. Right. So yeah. if I get the rapid lime, well, of course, it's got the directions on well, it, so long as you follow yeah, right. the directions. The, the thing about it, it's fairly uniform throughout the, the pellet, mm-hmm. whereas when you get pelletized lime, they just took agricultural lime and yeah. they pelletized it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's like treating it like making rice crispy treats but you I know, uh-huh. they just put sticky stuff in it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i still love pelletized lime whether it's fast lime or just uh, pelletized lime much better than the old white powdered oh, remember calisitic lime that we yeah. used to use oh, remember hydrated lime burn you know oh yeah lower but but the pelletized limes they're cleaner we right. used to always have to carry Hydrated lime for people who had lots of dogs. Yeah. You know, because mm. it's on these PCs and it dries good. it up. Yeah. Um, what do we do now? We use a pickling now. <laughs> a what? Yeah. What, it's what? pickling lime. That's what hydrated lime is. I mean, so we for the dog up. poop you're talking about? Oh, I don't know. Because you know, <laughs> that's what you just mentioned. We, we, I'm just we'd not. We scoop it up and put it in the garbage. Right. Dead birds, dead but frogs. But I'm like, why, why did people walk around with the well, uh, pelletized hy- lime well, but, to well, sprinkle on? No, the hydrated lime. Hydrated because lime. hydrated lime is a dry form of lime. It just sucks all the moisture out of anything you put it around. That's why you got to be so mm-hmm. careful with hydrated lime. But the limes that we're talking about is either it's going to be a pelletized lime but then we mentioned also the fast lime, yeah. which is a pelletized lime that breaks down even faster. But like y'all are saying, if you got a pH of four and a half, say you're Bermuda lawn, your front yard, and you want that pH to be six and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you're not trying to raise that thing two points at one at one outing, right? right. You know, only mm-hmm. half a point. All right, we've got a caller. Good morning, Billy. You're in the Mid South Garden. Yes, I had a question about my hydrangea, which. I don't care if the blooms are pink or blue. There I you just go. want it to bloom. <laughs> I want it to bloom. And it, I've had it I've had it planted for probably at least three years, three and a half, mm-hmm. and never a sign of a bloom. Okay. It, it greens up. It, in fact, it's got little green. It's about to leave out now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it, I can tell it's already budding out. Does it get morning no, sun by chance? Yes, it uh-huh. does. Well, that's, that's uh, the reason you're losing your blooms. Okay, it now doesn't get much now. Yeah, but I doesn't all all it has to get is some. Um, now, two years ago, I guess it was hydrangeas froze to the ground. Nobody got flowers. Yeah, okay, no so one. Right. one of those is out. But like it, here in Memphis, our ground temperature warms up too early in the season, and when it does, the buds swell. And if you've got at least a little bit of green showing there, and there's a frost on that, when the sun comes up in the morning, it hits that. The thawing will actually destroy the flower in there. Leaf's out fine, but you don't get a flower. So you need to mulch heavier if you don't want to move them so that that ground is cooler longer Mm -hmm. uh, to delay the bud swell or move them. You know, for years we've told people plant hydrangeas on the north side of the house. Well, it's just because that ground is colder and keeps that from bud from swelling until normally after we're past the danger of Frost. uh, frost. 
Maybe then, to, the, to the north side of the house. Or to a shady spot. And even the shade of a deciduous tree is enough to give them protection uh, because typically you don't get frost under there. My house faces east, and I have hydrangeas on it, but there's two huge oak trees, so they don't get that morning sun on them. So, so you're saying, Jim, so the soil temperatures warm up, and then the bud formation starts to swell right. on the hydrangeas. And any hydrangea that's on an eastern exposure, it typically can get frost on it. And then if you've got frost on that bud that's just forming and the sun comes up and hits the, of course, the hydrangea, yeah. it can crack that bud. It can that, kill that right. bud. Right. It kills the flower bud. And then, and then, Billy, that's, that's usually what happens. And then, of course, some people go out there and they'll cut the crepe myrtles back. Not crepe no. myrtle. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, they're uh, crepe myrtle on the brain. They'll cut their hydrangeas back at the wrong time. Yeah, that would be would have been yeah. my first question was, when did you prune them, or do you prune them? Yes, and uh, it's usually sometime in the late fall. Oh, there's the other problem. Yeah, another. <laughs> yeah, if you ever cut back a hydrangea, Billy, you want to do it right after they bloom, because they're setting that bloom for the ah. next year. Yeah, not after July 1st. Yep. Ah, very interesting. Well, thank you. You're welcome, <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Thanks, thank Thanks for the call. Uh, sweet thing's got two things going against her. Somebody, maybe Billy's doing it, mm-hmm. but somebody's cutting them back uh, at the wrong time. And if you do that, they're not going to bloom the next year. I could just see, this yeah. would be my my thoughts. Okay, fine, Hydrangea, if you're not going to bloom, I'm just going to chop you down. Yeah. Well, They're going to chop you down right now, mm-hmm. but then it's going to come back up and not bloom. No now bloom. we know. See, I didn't really think about the fact of which side of the house you plan that on to me is the number one because so many of the the hydrangeas now we have are rebloomers okay mm-hmm. so they should in theory bloom later in the season mm-hmm. um in theory in theory right. yes but if you're cutting them back mm-hmm. then you're going to have to depend Depend on a rebloom yeah. because you've lost the first bloom. Yeah. yeah, so the best thing to do if you ever cut them back is do it right after they bloom. And Jim, you said really not after July 4th. Yeah. Uh, just don't mm-hmm. cut those yeah. hydrangeas back because you're potentially cutting off the blooming tissue for the next year. Yeah. And the best way, too, to, to prune them is l- reach down inside there and, yeah. and pick out your five to mm-hmm. seven oldest canes. Yeah. they look like birch trees, they're peeling. Take those off down low. Leave the rest of them. Yeah, because uh, you can obviously tell which one's the older cane. Shoot, you need to do that for Nandina's too. Bring out that older cane. Absolutely, Nandina's yeah. get top heavy and shaking. And, and I like out. the idea that yeah. you said mulch them in too uh, to help keep that root system cooler longer right. in the early spring. Right. Gosh, you know, I might get even as detailed as throwing me a bucket of ice out there. <laughs> <laughs> to make it work. Not if you want to do that every day. <laughs> to, no, keep the work, to keep the roots cool. I don't, but I can see myself trying to experiment with that. Oh, Lord. Y'all hang on. We've got more fun. We'll be right back. You're listening to KWAM. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you here with us for the second hour. 
Y'all can call us, 260-5926, or find us. Yeah, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and there's Miss Beta. I'm sitting there looking at you right now. You look great, Miss Beta. Oh, um, thank you, darling. Or radio.com uh, and then you can always go back and listen to the podcast if you missed the show this morning, but 260-5926, or shoot us a text like a lot of people are doing. So Yeah, yeah yesterday afternoon I was waiting to pick up one of my granddaughters from a dance, and I was listening to last week's podcast. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm really a pretty funny guy. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you are. Like you're making me laugh right now. <laughs> Y'all. Hey, so. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. So, Jim, which plant do you like best? The hen bit or the dead nettle? And, Jim, please because, please say neither one, but go ahead. Okay. I, I, that, to me, um, dead nettle is prettier <laughs> than, than hen bit. Uh, and it's at least in my neighborhood, it's much more prevalent. Mm-hmm. You don't see hardly any henbit. Now we're we're talking about a weed mm-hmm. that I, grows in people's lawns that I can't wait to get out there and spray a two four D or yeah. some type of product to kill right. it. You know, it's hailed by the bee lovers as being one of the first food for mm-hmm. for honeybees or, or native bees, either one. And which it probably which is. is true. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and. Unfortunately, yesterday afternoon I was going to get a picture of the house down the street from me, and doggone it, they cut it again, so <laughs> it's not purple anymore. Yeah, I've seen but, pictures of fields. Yeah, this with their, it. their yard is, you know, and it's it's odd because they're right in the bend, so they have a really wide, long front yard, mm-hmm. and there's no weeds on either side of that in their <laughs> yard. <laughs> you know, yeah, their yard is purple. Well, <laughs> so, dead nettle, which looks very similar to henbit, and vice I'm, versa, uh, they do have a it's a wildflower, mm-hmm. you know. You know what we call a weed is definitely a wildflower somewhere, right? Right. Uh, and it does have a great looking bloom, but I, I yeah, I can't have it mm-hmm. growing in my lawn. Yeah, they I, are I put similar. a I posted a thing I did uh, a year or so ago about the difference because quite often. I don't know that anybody cares, but I'll, it, I'll call it, them all hen bit. Yeah, know? that's yeah. right. So and did a lot I. of people do. So did so. I. Yeah, and you can definitely see a distinct difference in the leaves. Yeah. But well, I'm liking it for the flower, but I just had to harass you because because right. y- y'all, well, it is a weed. It is a weed if it's, it's in your lawn and you, you're trying to have a nice lawn. Yeah, and, and, and it's a wildflower if it's growing where you want it to pasture. grow. Yeah. Right. But so, see, okay. let's just have it a wildflower for, for a while, and then when we get closer to being warm, it's a weed. Uh. <laughs> I'm trying to split the difference between but, but natural have, and... Well, but having said that, Miss Veda, if you do have broadleaf weeds growing in your lawn, Bermuda, zoysia, even established fescue, uh, there are some really good products that you can mix and just spray on your lawn. It will kill those broadleaf weeds. And a broadleaf weed is anything that's got a weed that's got a leaf on it. You know, it's, it doesn't have a blade like a blade of grass, like crab grass right <laughs> but it would kill broadleaf weeds and and people think a broadleaf weed has has to have a big leaf on it it's any broadleaf weed any weed that has a leaf on it okay mm-hmm. but get out there and give it a good spray and typically no rain for at least 24 hours come back in two or three weeks uh if need be and reapply it and you can really get rid of hen bit dead nettle and these other broadleaf weeds without harming your lawn and then if you have pets, you know, you just know that if you go out there and spray, you just need to keep them off uh, until it's completely dry. Now, technically, safely, you can do it this time of year. The stipulations are really no rain for 24 hours, typically speaking, when you spray these herbicides. 
and you need to spray before the temperatures get start getting above 89 degrees. So spring and fall, you know, you can spray these type products. You got to be very selective on what you can spray mm-hmm. to kill weeds when it starts getting really hot in the summertime. You know, one thing I've noticed that every weed there is has a medicinal property to it. And and it makes sense because they multiply so quickly. And if we're going to use it medicinally, we want to grow it more. I don't, I'm not saying I'm not recommending you go out and munch on henbit. Just like Bailey and I did a, a video for uh, the garden center and we had herbs. And we were talking about herbs and even the medicinal part of it. Yeah. And then we were uh, emphasizing that. I'm not recommended i'm just saying yeah that this has been used in the past for these things so well uh, if i ever see my neighbors out there pulling henbit and just munching on it well the right. for sale signs going up pretty quick okay you can make dead nettle tea there's all kinds of things but you have to um study you know that. i mean most i mean plants in general are, are you know so many of them are used for medicinal purposes i mean look at uh, i was reading about one uh, a week or so ago a witch hazel uh, witch yeah. hazel is probably used, which is actually a shrub, it's probably used more than any other plant on planet Earth for uh, medicinal mm-hmm. uh, properties. So you're, I have a bottle on the kitchen. I was going to say, go, you know? everybody has some witch hazel in their house. I mean, but yeah, yeah. but, you know, I still can't, you know, to me, <laughs> a weed is, is something that shouldn't be in my yard. If it's not a strand of Bermuda or a, or a blade of zoysia, Anything else considered a weed, and I don't care how pretty the bloom looks. Yeah. You know, when they bloom, it's, it's got to go. I must have gotten on the right feed on Facebook page or Instagram or whatever I was on because I had a really cool picture of all these uh, dandelions. And it, it does have was, a beautiful bloom. Yes. There was this long thread on people sharing their recipes when they were growing up of what their grandmother would make. And one of the big things was the dandelion and some kind of uh, gravy. Okay, you know there was a depression it. back then, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. But uh, so there was all kinds of comments on how they would mm. eat it and how they would harvest it. And Because, uh, I mean, when I lived in, in Italy, in Europe, the, I would have Italians come over mm. and ask if they could uh, harvest the dandelions. From your yard. And I, I have no clue then. What, why, what they're doing. But you said, of course. I'm saying, yeah, mm. yeah, sure. Because, you know, we're in the military. We weren't having a perfectly good y- yard out in Italy on the... Yeah. And so they would come harvest my dandelions, and it took years for me to realize why. Well, and, and I've got to admit, Jim and Betty, I won't believe this, because typically I would never eat a weed, right? <laughs> a good friend of mine that lives over in Marion, Arkansas, Bland, Britain, a lot of people listening probably know Bland. Uh, there's a lot of pigweed that grows on the road banks of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And pigweed is one of those weeds, okay? Well, he'll go out there and pluck a big old heaping of pigweed, and he got a recipe from somewhere where you boil them down <clears throat> kind of like you would greens. And he brought me some. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, no, I've completely lost my mind if I eat any of this. And, and of course, I did. And it, it was like a sweet Turnip green. So here I am eating weeds, pig weed that farmers can't stand. They'll 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 do anything in this world <laughs> right. to kill pig weed. Okay, from their pa- or from their their crop. Um, so 
I mean, you know, I mean, there again, we call it a weed because it's grown where we don't want it to grow. It's usually invasive. But some of the things, Veda, like you're talking about, not too bad to eat, you know? Or yeah. so, well, As soon as you can buy it at Kroger, I'll think about it. Jim, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know if I'm going to say you can buy it already canned in grocery yeah. stores in the north. Well, there's but. a... There's a um, international market over on germantown parkway mm-hmm. yeah. that i used to go over there because i could get uh, things like prickly pear for my tortoises yeah. um, um aloe big leaves of aloe for you know you'll see them sometimes at kroger and they're like six dollars you know and they're like 99 cents there <laughs> you know <laughs> so you know we'd make a trip over there you know every now and then and get some unusual things you can buy dandelion greens mm-hmm. and, and all that sort of thing. wow so it see, is kind of a neat place to go see yeah. yeah and usually i'm just not into eating exotic or anything and, and to me you know pigweed is not exotic but it's to me it's still a weed in the back of my head i'm sitting there i'm eating a freaking weed when i don't have to but it wasn't bad i'm telling if you if you put if you sowed greens mixed in with your pansies, then your greens would be a weed. And nasturtiums. People eat nasturtiums. <laughs> but they eat pansies like you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, my friend Sherry McCullough, who is the uh, director of the um, herb garden over at the Botanic Garden, she made a pesto out of chickweed uh, that was... Uh, Pretty darn good, huh? Uh, well, that's oh, not have the little, words I would use, oh, but little, <laughs> taste it was it. edible. Uh, <laughs> I like the prickly pear jelly. That is delicious. Yes, it is. That's, that's good. Yeah. I think I'm going to stick to spraying these things and yeah. just trying to get rid of okay, them instead of fine. boiling them up and putting a little spice on it and eating fine, it all into the Kenneth, day. Fine, just fine. You see, I can't get you to change your mind at all. No, ma'am. Um, prickly pear cactus. I've seen that hardy around here. Is oh, it yeah. tra- oh, traditionally yeah. hardy? Uh, yes. Yeah, and I wonder. I've got the I've, I have the thornless one. It doesn't have the big thorns, but it has the tiny little ones that get under your skin there and really uh-huh. give you heck. Like um, you, yeah. Um, but <laughs> mine, has, the mine has not bloomed yet. Now there's one mm-hmm. over at the Botanic Gardens that is covered with blooms every year, and you harvest that little. It's like a rose hip. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. part you harvest yeah. Yeah. to make the jelly, and it's they're purple, and it's just it's absolutely. And you said and turtles love that stuff, Jim. Turtles love it. Yeah. You don't give them the bloom part. You give them the the budded well, part. Won't, yeah, they'll, they'll eat it with the the thorns and all. They don't really Ooh, care. Oh wow! Know? So, <laughs> and I got interesting. Uh, and let me say, talking about blooms, uh, Gina's Christmas cactus is in full bloom again. I don't know, and, and this thing has never done this before. Easter. Did you move it? She did. That's yeah. why she did. She moved it from the wall to to the window, mm-hmm. and this thing is in full bloom. But all so over. it bloomed at Christmas. It did. Okay. It did. And then now I'm wondering. It it's Christmas again. And I'm yeah. wondering, is it going to bloom, you know, this Christmas? Maybe it's Not, got no, two No, it should different... bloom right now if you leave it where it's at. Which yeah. it is. Okay. And then if she moves it back to where it was, yeah. then it will should bloom at Christmas. Good. If she does it right. June, July, August or so, then yeah. you should get it back on the Christmas schedule. There you Are go. there two different foliage in there? Maybe part, maybe one. Gr- well, it it's is the same plant. It is the it, same yeah. plant. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's go to a break. Uh, give us a call. 260-5926-260-5926. Going to the third. And I heard to that. the third. <laughs> <laughs> and good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to yeah. our to our gardening show. And, you know, I was thinking, I just love the questions mm. that we get. Call in or 
on you posted it on Facebook and as Kenneth says, we've got a texter here. Yeah, we That's do. That's so cute. But it, give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926, of course, Mighty 990 Facebook page or kwmradio.com. But y'all, um, I, I wrote down a few little bullet points last night. And one thing, uh, I was talking to a customer uh, about sun patients the other day. Um, and they had never planted sun patients in their either containers or their beds before. And then we got into the discussion. He wanted to know the difference between sun patients and what's been around mm-hmm. for quite a while are the New Guinea patients, right? Okay, they look very similar. They do, but they're beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the, the, you know, the bigger leaves. I like the bigger blooms. Now, I still love the old-fashioned impatient bedding plant that right, we typically put in a more shaded environment. And the New Guineas also go more in a more mm-hmm. shaded environment. But the sun patients, you know, there are hybrids, and they can take all the sun you want to give them. So if you want a beautiful, colorful, bigger-bloomed uh, bedding plant that you can put either in containers or your beds in full sun, mm-hmm. uh, I'm telling you, and I might go with the sun patient. I might actually plant sun pa- or Gina might tell me to do <laughs> sun patients <clears throat> in front of the house this year. Now, typically, you don't buy those in bedding plant flats yeah, like, like you do begonias inch, yeah. and yeah they usually come in a p- individual pot that you're buying so you get a bigger plant always the bigger root system but y'all I'm, I'm telling you i'm beginning to really really love these sun patients mm-hmm. i had you to know? wait a, a couple of years to believe that it would happen me too because when they came out i was like yeah right memphis full sun yeah, me too with the word impatient in it yeah. no but, yeah, they're well, totally working. You know, I, years ago, I grew New Guineas on the west side of the house, mm-hmm. and you just had to keep them really nearly yeah. wet, Yeah, you know, right. and they would stay up. They were shaded till midday, um, but they would, you know, mm-hmm. they would bloom their little hearts yeah. out. So if you want less maintenance, less watering, then you could, the sun patients would, and you still just want a to, little yeah, less you still watering, want to keep though. them watered, Not but, so much. and you know, if, if you miss it, they end, they look like cooked <laughs> cabbage, but when you hit them with water in about mm-hmm. an hour, they're all healthy and happy again. Yeah, but That's I tell you crazy. what, when people, when we say full sun around here, I mean, mm-hmm. full sun around here is a brutal place, yeah. I'm telling you. Uh, it's hard, I mean, it's tough on plants. Especially, especially 11 mm. to 3. It's really intense. Yeah, it's so amazing how a plant can be incredibly wilted, and then you water it, and it just perks back up. And I always say, if you let a plant go under tremendous stress like that, and you water it, and it comes back out, that's a lot of energy on the plant to recover anyway. So always fertilize with a natural fertilizer to give it some more health since it's been stressed, kind of like people you know and uh so and then i've put fertilizer in the uh water of course mm-hmm. that i've watered it with to come back out and it's either there's a point of wilt to where there's like a point of no return and i see plants that oh, i yeah. think there's a point of no return but i soak them i don't water them i soak them yeah, in but water. there is a point of no return though yeah. I mean, if they get to a point they're not going to come back i don't I'm care how all, much you water i'm always going to water <laughs> and try to make it happen so what do y'all i mean do y'all agree i mean really enjoying loving the blooms of these sun patients mm-hmm. and these new guinea patients yeah you know and yeah. i'm like you but it's sun impatient or sun patient you know it's like those two words never go together mm-hmm. But they, I'm telling you, they can take all the sun you want to give them. So. But I do definitely have to have the regular inpatients. And thank goodness the downy 
Downey Mildew. What Downey did we Mildew. Have Downey Mildew. You know, that was didn't. what about eight years yeah. ago now that we had that horrible outbreak mm-hmm. of Downey Mildew where every impatient in the mid south died yeah. every one of them uh, it was just it was kind of tragic because nobody had impatience in their yard and that's one of my absolute favorite shade things and, and i really downy mildew yeah and i really thought uh after that episode that people would shy away mm-hmm. from impatience and the next year uh a lot of people did they were really afraid to plant impatience because of that downy mildew outbreak we had um but I haven't, I mean, and, and I saw maybe one or two cases of it a year mm-hmm. later. But ever since then, I haven't seen or heard any complaints, problems uh, about downy mildew on impatience. And yeah. I really think the the I think the the beginning. I think it came actually from the growers. You know, yeah, that's what I've heard. Well, it did. Too. It started at a, I think it was in Costa Rica, a company that supplies a vast majority of the little tiny starter plants, beauty plants that mm-hmm. yeah for the greenhouses and yeah. growers all around the world and they were infected before anybody knew it and they were out in the in in the grower in the growers and it spread quickly to uh, uh, well yeah. all across the country yeah well you know it's a Amazing that it didn't start taking over like crepe myrtle bark scale, but I guess because it was seasonal. Yeah. That well, it, yeah, but it, you know, it, really, we kind of expected it to last four or five years because it produces a, it produces two types of um, spores. One that's on the exterior of the plant that lasts a season. And it produces one that's inside the plant that can last five to six years. And that's why they say, really, if you ever have a bed with bedding plants in it that have downy mildew, try not to plant that plant in there for at least two years. Right. Well, people went back in and planted the next year, and thank goodness it mm-hmm. didn't turn into a problem. Yeah, it didn't. For the most part. And I yes. know we got uh, Barry, but let me say this real quick also. Uh, Carl Roberts uh, texted in. We were talking about the sun patients a while ago, and his question, guys, was, can sun patients be planted in the shade also? You know? Yes. Yeah. So whether it's in New Guinea or whether it's a sun patient, they both can, can grow in filtered sun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll do great there. The only difference is the sun patients can also tolerate more sun. So, yes, Carl, you can stick those things. Now, when he says shade, though, guys, can you put those in what we call deep. shade? If it's deep shade, um, the, the plant will be beautiful. It just won't bloom much. Right. Yeah, that is a thing. You know, that's one of the things um, – We'll get to you after a break, Barry. We don't want to have to cut it short. Yeah, so hang on just a second, Barry. One of the things about your uh, sun shade is people will ask, will this grow in sun? Will it grow in shade? And you'll say, well, it can grow in both. But then it's not passed along that if it's growing in shade, you're not going to have that beautiful full bloom of color that you would have when it has more sun. So think about that as well. Plants can do a lot of different um, environments versus sun and shade, but they're not going to perform exactly the same. They're not going to be as prolific as they can be, just like putting a regular impatient in too much sun. I've seen Mm -hmm. people plant regular impatients in a lot of sun. And you just Uh, keep them watered. Yeah, but that's not where they want Mm -hmm. to be. You can get away with it, maybe, if you keep them flooded with water. They usually get a little leggier. Uh, and they usually, you know, lose some of their color. They, they're not as, you know, deep green. Even the blooms aren't as pretty because they lose some of that color. Not saying they won't grow there, right? 
And kind of like what Carl was saying, can you put sun patients in the shade? Well, if it's light shade, they'll do perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. They'll bloom their little heads off and look beautiful. If it's deep shade, like Jim was saying, they'll grow there. They'll get leggy, and you're not going to get near as much bloom. So if it's when people say shade, it all depends on exactly what are we talking about. Right. And, you know, always um, amend your soil after you pull all your old plants out and you're going to put new annuals in. Or just cut them off. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jim just likes cutting them <laughs> off. I've done a little bit of both now lately, trying you know, trying to experiment. I think sometimes it depends on the plant. That's why I like that hoary hoary knife. You can just cut those roots and pull that plant out of a container and then plop another one in there. But what was my point where I was well, going with well, that? Well, like Jim, like he told me last year, you know, just cut them down at ground level. Talking about your bedding plants oh, yeah. that grow all summer. And, and then in the fall, before I plant my pansies, he said, just, man, cut these things yeah. down. Don't worry about pulling the roots up. Plant the pansies in between where you have the other bedding plants, and all that root system is going to break mm-hmm. down and turn into compost. Yeah, you and know? still, so even if you cut them off at ground level, you can still add all your compost on top of it, you know, around it. But my thing is, and Barry, I promise you, right after the break, we're going to get to you. My thing is, if you cut them down at ground level, invariably some of them are going to come, come back, back next year, you know? Gardening is so And if you so didn't want that bedding fun. plant out there. Right, or I have to stick it in between plants and then it's out of out of the road. Right. Pour them. We'll be back. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. If, you, if we're going in and out, you can uh, do the streaming, kwamradio.com, and hear us that way. You yep. can find us on on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And, Barry, hang on one more second. Uh, you can go there and shoot some texts like Carl did asking about the sun patients or kwamradio.com. Mm-hmm. A lot of different ways you can get in touch with us. And Jim's Facebook page that he's Yeah, been... during the week, if you got a question, you can post it there. And later on in uh, probably the next hour, we're going to talk about spray programs for fruit trees and how you can have some decent fruit. Absolutely. And we have to talk about bee pollinators and all that other wonderful natural good stuff that we love to do in the garden. Good morning, Barry. You're in the garden. Hey there. Hey, Barry. Appreciate you waiting, buddy. No problem. Is there a pre-emergent for nuts edge? i got a big crop of it in the summer. God, Jim, I don't think there is, is it? I sure uh, wish there was. <clears throat> I need to... <laughs> Maybe. We I'm going to can... check a label. I think Gallery, doesn't it? Doesn't it, it have a... We'll uh, check. I mean, yeah. typically speaking, you know, normally we you, we, we would say absolutely not mm-hmm. because nut right. sedge is coming up from a nut, not really a well, true seed. There but... are a number of annual sedges, too, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Barry, is it coming up in beds or lawns? In my lawn. In the lawn. And it is definitely, you know, nut sedge. Well, check and... Yeah, there's it, no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> How about in the areas it's coming up? Is it extra moist there? Do you have moisture there more times than not? Well, I read about that that's what it comes at in moist areas or areas like that, but I don't see it. I don't I don't know where that it is in right. my yard. I just, it's just a huge crop of it. It's every, I yeah. guess, May through August, and I, yeah. I put yeah. it in the jonnet, and... um it keeps coming up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those where I think it's like process of elimination. Mm-hmm. Uh, an image is okay. one of the products, Barry, that you can safely use on Bermuda or Zoysia. Now, the other product is a product called Sedge Hammer. It comes in a powder, like a little pouch that you mix with water, and then you go out there and just spot treat, you know, uh-huh. the uh, the nut sedge. But it sounds like in your case, you've got too much to go out mm-hmm. there and just 
spot treat. I would I do. I keep, do. Yeah. keep using the image. But we'll do some research before the show, Barry. Uh, Jim's looking up a yeah, product called I, I Gallery. Just, I just came up on a site, and and they say, as far as they know, there is no pre-emerge for Nutsedge. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Now, I want to. Can I ask you about the, the broadleaf weeds you were talking about? Yes, sir. Is is a granular a granular weed killer for broadleaf the same as good as the spray? Yeah, I mean the stipulation usually when you buy a granulated, usually a granulated uh, uh, post-emergent to kill broadleaf weeds, it's usually mixed right. with a lawn food. Okay, that's why they call yeah. it just a weed and feed. If you ever right. use the weed and feed berry, you do want the ground or the grass moist when you put it down. Okay. Yeah. And then no rain uh, after 24 hours after you apply it, and then you can always come back and um, and water. But uh, in my opinion, when you use a weed and feed, it's an easy way to get the first application of the lawn food down, and it's an easy way to get the first application of the weed killer down. But you still might have to come back in two weeks and spray a weed killer to get that second application of the weed killer down. I got you. Because a lot of times it takes two applications. Right. Okay. Well, thank you all. You've answered my question. Thank you, Barry. Have a great weekend, buddy. Thanks for calling in. Bye-bye. Thanks. I had good good results with changing the soil structure, adding more humic acid, adding more organic compost. I had really great results with that because it's liking that tight soil. It likes, of course, moist areas. It likes it when we pull it out because then it creates more. So I, I went with changing the soil structure. So you're going to aerate it or get a pitchfork mm-hmm. and poke holes in there. Yeah. Anything you can do to loosen or make it right. less compact. Yeah. And then you're going to apply that humic acid. Right. Uh, and then I'm constantly, I'm always going to use organic fertilizers, maybe even put compost on my lawn. I mean, you can still use a synthetic and all, but I'm working with the organics to change the soil structure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's probably not going to eliminate it 100%, but it's going to start helping because the less you can get, you know, the easier it's going to be to control with other mechanical methods or spray methods. And that's how it is with a lot of things. If you just change your soil structure yeah. or add back into your soil what you need, like even with the pH, if your pH is maybe too high mm-hmm. for your lawn, then weeds like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's weeds that don't like rich, good soil. So you can uh, work that around, So you're changing too. the environment in which the nutgrass is growing. But I'm, I'm with... Um, uh, Barry, you know, image, uh, you can definitely use out there. Now, the only thing with the image, though, you don't want to use image, typically speaking, in your lawn, talking about Bermuda and zoysia, uh, during the transition period when it's coming out of dormancy, mm-hmm. which is now, and when it's going into dormancy. So really the only time you can safely use image on Bermuda and zoysia is when the grass is green and actively growing. Yeah. So keep that in mind. And you do not want to put image on any type of fescue. It would kill it mm-hmm. dead. Uh, and just recall, just know that when you use image, um, it's going to work slow. It's not going to kill that nut grass overnight. It takes about a week or two weeks oh, to it, even it, see discoloration. Maybe up to three weeks. Mm. So just keep that in mind. But if you're if you're persistent and you're spraying, um, you know, more than one time, eventually you will kill yeah. that nut grass. And let me say this real quick, also, and I know we got Marion. We were talking about the weed and feed, which is the fertilizer with the broadleaf weed killer. Uh, There is a product that Fertilome has, and it's Dollar Weed Control. It is a broadleaf weed killer 
that is doesn't have a lawn food mixed in with it. Okay, so you can buy broadleaf weed killers in a granulated form without the fertilizer. Okay, mm-hmm. and it does a really good job. But like I said, you still might have to come back in a couple of weeks and spray um, or put the same product down to really get rid of those broadleaf weeds because sometimes it takes two applications. Right. And with the change in the soil structure and all, I mean, you do that continually as well because just changing the soil structure the first time doesn't mean they're not going to come up. that. So it's a, a cultural practice. And using that humic acid, like you said, Veda, whether it's a liquid humic acid that you spray on your lawn or the granulated soil activator, I promise you it is nothing but good for your lawn. Right. So, Jim, no pre-emergent, huh? No, nothing that I can find that has an EPA registration for Nuts Edge. Yeah, and I'm like you. I thought at one time gallery. I was thinking I had seen that, but apparently not. Okay. So, anyway. Um, well, things change so fast. Yeah. You know, the question is, if you're going to use a, a granular herbicide, though, why? Uh, you don't have weeds all over your yard, usually. Mm-hmm. You know? It seems like a lot of expense. I would so much more rather just go out there and spot spray. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. Yes. I agree. Oh, I can't. I have work. to agree. Yeah. yeah. Less know, and, may, and like Veda said, and I'm agreeing with her, look out. I know. Painting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the better your soil is, the more likely your desirable grass is to fill in that area. Usually where we see that grass not succeeding well uh, it's not that the nut grass is uh, killing the grass. It's the grass is fading out, and it's left a situation for nut grass to go. And usually that's where water runs through uh, because that's what it likes. So if you improve the grass, improve your drainage, get your grass growing thoroughly, then usually you will significantly reduce the amount of nut grass you get coming up from seed. You can easily kill what's there. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a number of products mm-hmm. out there. Uh, there's a new one out called Vexus that I've seen label on. It's I don't know if it's going to be available for homeowners or not, but it's um, but there are a number of things out there to kill established yellow nut sedge, mm-hmm. which is what most everybody has mm-hmm. in their yard. Yeah, so. I do have to agree. I do not like that. I bet there's something medicinal for it. I mean, medicinal to no, use. Then. I know surely <laughs> if there's not anything medicinally able to use or be used for that, then it is totally a weed. And, and Marion, <laughs> I promise you, we're going to get to you right after the break, but with nutgrass, there again, it, it is process of elimination. I mean, because, you know, those nuts are under there, and there's more than one. Mm-hmm. And when you spray and you kill the top, you know, the green growth that you see above ground, uh, it's not uncommon to have more of those, what you know, nuts yeah. right, uh, germinate after that. So, but but you will get rid of it if you're if you're persistent. You know, there's something I haven't thought through any farther since I just heard it. But I have heard that if you pull the nut sedge out, nut grass out, it makes more come up. What's is that? That's partly true. Yeah, but. A lot of the nut grass we see in in turf is not established yellow nut sedge. It's seedling nut sedge. Which is coming back from seed. Which is a seed. just come up from from seed. seed. Right. Yeah. And is is easily killed. There's no really nut there to to go after. It's, you know, if it's got some size on it, then it's it's an established one. Um, But a lot of that really fine nut sedge that you see coming up Mm -hmm. is coming up from seed. And all it needs is you know, a little moisture to be covered with something like mm-hmm. your leaf, 
your grass clippings get a little organic matter to decompose on top of it, and it comes up like mad. Yeah. So uh, seeds there, just waiting for the opportunity. That's like every weed. The seeds there. Yes. They're oh, just yeah. waiting for the environment to change to have it able to germinate. Yep. But we're going to go to Marion after this break and get your gardening questions together. Call us 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call 260-5926. Or you can post a question on our um, Facebook page, live Facebook page. And let's go to Marion. Good morning. Thanks for holding. Oh, good morning. Hey, Marion. Hey, I wanted to uh, let you know that the um, Memphis African Violet Society is going to have a sale today. This is the first one in a couple of years at uh, Central Christian Church. Yeah. And that's at fifty-three fifteen McLean. Hold on, fifty-three fifteen. Okay, McLean, and that's what Midtownish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Midtown. Yeah. Central Christian Church, and it's going to be from 10 to 2. And we're going to have a few other plants besides just violets. That 5315 would not be anywhere near Midtown. Would it not? No, that number would have to be way north or way south. Oh, where's, where is Central? 5315 50, McLean. McLean. Okay. Hmm. It's at McLean and Peabody. Okay, babe, I'm writing Carter. this down. And that's the, uh, the Memphis uh, African Violet Society. Uh, and that is today from 10 to 2, you said. That's right. And, of course, it's free admission. I mean, anybody can show up, oh, and, yeah. and y'all will have yeah. lots of these things for sale, Marion, I'm assuming? Yes, yes. We're, we're going to have quite a few. And will you also have someone there that can tell my wife how to successfully <laughs> grow one and keep it alive? We sure do. We sure do. <laughs> that is perfect. We need to know that. Because, honestly, yeah. on my kitchen table right now, our kitchen table, mm-hmm. there is an African violet. Uh, her okay. Gina's mother used to grow them, so Gina likes to grow them. Now it's still beautiful right now, the foliage, but it has absolutely no blooms on it. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know a thing about African violets. The, so the correct address is five thirty one. Five thirty one. Yeah. Oh, we added an extra number to yeah. it. It's, it's, oh, okay. I couldn't. That's an S. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> it's South that. McLean. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> now you sound like us, Marion. Okay, so 531 South McLean uh, from 10 to 2. Yeah, it's right at Peabody. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect. And I couldn't read my own writing. Oh, well, that's <laughs> me. Just join the club. Glad well, Marianne, to have you. I hope everybody in Memphis shows up, my dear. Okay, 10 to 2. 10 to 2. Got you, Miss Marion. Thank you. Thanks for letting us know. Oh, my goodness. That'd be I've a lot of fun. Most beautiful African violets we get them in all the time. And there's so many more that oh, have not... lots of blooms, double blooms, different colors. You're right, Veda. It's not just the old, you know, pinks and blues yeah. anymore. There's so many different color variations out there. And they are really, they're actually really easy to grow. Mm-hmm. And they, when they're blooming, there's nothing like them. Um, to me, they're easier to get to rebloom than an orchid. But you have to fertilize because a lot of folks do say when they ask why it's not blooming, and I go, when did you fertilize three months ago, or what did you use, or you know, all or the never. yeah, all the nutrient issues no one is taking care of. And if you would just fertilize more, then with you a could, good African violet plant right. food or that Fox Farm Big Bloom, yep. 
I mean, I'm finding out that's that's good for the orchids, for the African violets, for for everything, really. So just get that and um, use it for everything. So to go back over really quick, that it's um, at 531 South McLean, which is at McLean and Peabody. Uh, and that's today from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock at the Central Church. And if you want to go in there and take a look at some of these beautiful African violets that Miriam was talking about, purchase some mm-hmm. African violets. And if you have any questions, they'll have people there to answer those questions for you. And I love it because African violets to me are kind of like an heirloom plant. Yes. Uh, and people need to have mm-hmm. some of those beautiful plants in their house, no doubt. That's one of the most um, said lines that I get on African violets is I'm getting it because my mother, my grandmother, or my aunt always had them in their window. And so it's a nostalgic thing. Or what was the other word you used? Like Um, an heirloom type. Yeah, an heirloom type plant, a pass-along plant maybe. But we all, I have to have one so I can think of my aunt's sister and and think about the whole going to visit her and seeing them. Well, it it makes me think about Gina's mom. She actually had a special bay window put in her kitchen with shelves for African violence. I love okay? that lady. Yeah. <laughs> well, while we're talking about events, let's talk about the first uh, event for the Spring Fling, which is coming up uh, Sunday, and, uh, tomorrow, March 27th. It's the in-person auction, and it's going to be at David Lusk Art Gallery at uh, 97 Tillman Road in Memphis. Wow. So they're going to have, uh, this is a fundraiser for them, but there's going to be a plant auction, and uh, it's going to see if we got a time on this puppy. Uh, now, Jim, is that tomorrow or is it on the 9th? Uh, no, it's on the 27th. Okay. Yeah, so this is their, they're having three okay. separate sections of the, um, okay, I don't have a uh, auction, but uh, preview is at 1 p.m. and then auction begins at 2. So That'd it's auction fun. for a paint, paint, uh, I, painting. They may have paintings, <laughs> but they're going to have specimen plants and that oh, sort of okay. thing that you can bet on that have been donated. And this is at the Ooh. David Lusk Studio. Right. Um, and this is part of Spring Fling. The Memphis Area Master Gardeners put this on. Right. And then the next weekend, uh, they're going to have more functions. Uh, <laughs> not this weekend, but next yeah. weekend. So. Oh, Spring Fling. Yeah. Isn't that? There's like Cooper Young Garden Walk, uh, Spring Fling coming up, the By Your Garden Gate. Through Your Garden Gate. That's something else. Yeah, Through Your Garden Gate. That's also with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Elmwood Cemetery actually has a lot of things to look at. Botanic Uh, Garden Plant Sales. Yeah. Yeah. So y'all have Dixon Gallery Gardens. And if you go on to Dixon, they've this year planted, I think, a quarter million tulips. A quarter of a million. It's a big job. Yeah, so you can go by there and take a look at it. And, Jim, I know at some point you wanted to say something about fruit trees. (laughs) That's uh, next hour. Susan, well, and this fits right into that. Uh, Susan Breland, she texted in and said, I have lost all of my fruit trees because everything that I successfully used to use to kill the insects have now been banned. And, and that has a lot of truth to it. It does, and that's one of the things we're going to be talking about, some alternatives and uh, how you can grow fruit and get the cost under $150 a pound. Yeah, there you go. So, Susan, stay tuned. Uh, we'll give you some good tips on how to get rid of those insects, uh, even with a lot of the wonderful insecticides that have been banned. So uh, that would be the next hour. Uh, uh, also, go ahead, Beta. I have to say petunias are beginning to... Come back into my favorite plant. 
for the summer because there's new varieties of petunias. Well, have you seen some like that are red and it's got the polka dots on them? Uh, there's purple with the with green white. edge and yeah, oh the Picasso. Picasso. Yes, yes. Yeah. There's so many new petunias out. We got hanging baskets in uh, last last week, yeah. and I just said send me something that looks good. Petunias. You know, whatever the. So I got a number of petunias, but I didn't know there were colors like that. And this then year. of course the wave petunias. You know, mm-hmm. those are the ones that really spread and and fall down or droop, and you put them in hanging baskets, planters. You can even put them in a bed if you want to. But, you know, what we grew up with was the old-fashioned petunias. Mm -hmm. And now the old-fashioned petunias have got a facelift, and there's so many different colors out there, right? Don't have to deadhead them. No, no. They don't. Slimy blooms. (laughs) Yes, and that's smelly. (laughs) And and then, of course, the wave, you know, that come in a lot of different colors that are truly trailing or running type petunias. And they're tough, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Those petunias are tough little bedding plants. They look delicate as everything, yeah. but don't let that look fool you, though. Because the old-fashioned petunias in the summertime, would, especially if they were in full sun, would just kind of fall out or they wouldn't bloom as much or they get long and leggy. But all these new ones, the waves and all of that, I see more blooms on them, hardier through the summertime. And there's some that are extremely fragrant. You know, yes. some of the, the deep purples, for example. That's true. I yeah. mean, you walk past them, and I mean, it is it is the sweetest thing you've ever smelt. I mean, mm-hmm. it really is. It's a very, very sweet, sweet smell. Typically, we're not planting petunias out there for fragrance. Yeah. But some yeah. of them do have a fragrance. So that though. would be good for a hanging basket so it can be up by your nose so you don't have to lay down in the yard and smell it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have a lot, it's just going to waft, waft <laughs> through the air. Or is and that of course, Veda, like you, you know, be- garden centers are getting in bedding plants now. You know, we got in like five racks of bedding plants that we've been pulling in the building every, every night. night. <laughs> and then the next morning, take them back mm-hmm. out because this is the time of year. We can have a beautiful day. And the uh, National Weather Service has just posted a frost advisory for the Mid-South. We knew it. Y'all hang on. We will be back in a minute. So there. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we could be with you. This is our third hour, and it's nice and bright and sunny, and what are we having? Faux spring? Well, you know, everybody says that oh it's winter time again but no it's spring spring's supposed to be cool yeah spring is here and the frost date you know is april 15th and all that means is if you put anything tender tender in the ground bedding plants or whatever tomatoes vegetables before that date you just want to be prepared to protect those plants okay in case we get another killing frost and jim made a comment just a second ago about you know, what's the low tonight, 39 degrees, Jim? Well, they're staying in out, they, outlying areas that can be 33 or 36. So, But there's also a, you said a... There is a frost advisory for the area, right. yes. So if, yeah. you, so if you've got your tomatoes out there already, which a lot of people love to get a head start, uh, get some frost cloth, 
uh, that you can buy at your garden centers and put that over it. And I promise you, I promise you, it will help so yeah. much keep that killing frost off these uh, this tender pl- plants right. that we just planted. Some other timely things is right now the hummingbirds are beginning to move north. So if you feed them, get your feeders out. Right. Uh, I did hear of a couple of reports in DeSoto County, but I have not seen that on any of the maps that uh, that I kind of follow the where they've had sightings. So, uh, but what shortly, kind of maps? The hummingbird maps. There are a number of organizations <laughs> that track them, and and you know if they have a confirmed sighting, then they'll they'll post that on the map. And so I know that is amazing. Yeah, and they they've come all the way up the east coast already. You know, there are some you know much further north than Memphis. But so far, uh, nothing here in the Mid-South. And, and I know up. that, you know, the the same old bully hummingbird that I've had <laughs> for the last five years, I know it's not the same one, mm-hmm. but there's one that's always a bully. I'm telling you, he just wants to sit on the feeder and run everybody yeah. off, and they do it all. It's like he burns all of his energy running all the other mm-hmm. ones off. Yeah, and if you put up ten feeders, that won't happen. Well, maybe two feeders this year, Jim. Yeah. Tan. Yeah, the tan. more you put up, the less of that bullying you'll have. Yeah, because they'll, you know. they'll, they'll all have their own feeder. That is fun to watch how the uh, hummingbirds fight over an oh, area. Man. Because there aren't there mm-hmm. like, what is the word? I mean, what, they're, they're not well, aggressive. They are, they're well, I mean, all protected hogs. They're territorial. That's Ter- it. Territorial. They're hogs. They're hogs. <laughs> territorial. That's it. Mm. Hummingbirds are territorial. So if you've got a uh, mm. small amount of hummingbird feeders, then they're going to fight each other to get to. And let me say nectar. this: you know, when you're uh, as far as the hummingbird food that goes in the hummingbird feeder. Uh, a lot of people make their own food well, with just sugar and water, and they boil the water and stir it in there. And I they eat Four that. parts water, one <laughs> part sugar. Say that again. Four parts water, one part sugar. Okay. I do four parts sugar, one <laughs> part water, and then I drink it. Well, that's molasses. <laughs> it's called southern tea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you want to make sure that, uh, you know, especially initially, let's say if you go out there today and you put mm-hmm. your uh, nectar in the hummingbird feeder. If you don't have hummingbirds for another week or 10 days or whatever, you want to pour that out and start over. They don't like old food, okay? (laughs) Every four or five days, as long as we're having this cold temp, Mm. like cool temperatures. But once we start getting up with temperatures consistently in the 80s, it should be changed at least every second or third day. That's right. And then when you get up into the 90s, it ought to be changed every day. Especially if it's in full sun. Yeah. And they they know it. They'll Try not to put it in full sun Mm. because it does get hot for their little tongues. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. They can't eat the food because it's burning their tongues. But they are fun to watch. You don't think about a bird having a tongue. And we have on our (laughs) in our file section, we have an excellent file on food plants for hummingbirds. It tells you when it blooms, tells you the heights. Uh, It's gotten separated by vines and trees and shrubs and perennials. Uh, So it's it's really an excellent list that I put together for a hummingbird a national hummingbird group uh, about two years ago. So these plants that are on the fowl section of the Mid-South yes. Gardening Facebook page, Jim, they and can go and anybody can look. You've got a list of plants that really uh, help attract and hold hummingbirds. That's right. And it was mm. this came from information all across the country and plants that uh, are very... Um, some of the best birders around are what they recommend. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, some of it you may not find in your local garden center, but there are a lot of, most of the stuff you will. 
So anyway, it's a, it's a great list, and uh, you know, and it's free. Just look. There's at it. so much more than y'all imagine, and most people just only think about the flower part mm. or the things mm. that like an annual or a perennial, but right. we're not thinking about the vine or the tree yeah. that the hummingbirds would like. So. And there's so many things to create, like, um, I know we want to talk about the fruit trees, but how about the bee pollination garden? And I know we had uh, talked previously about how the hen bit and all that are good first-time pollinators, as well as the white clover. But then after that, and again, I mean, it's some of our favorite perennials that the bees will work for hummingbirds and uh, the bees. The flowers will work for hummingbirds and bees. On all of the plants that we have listed on there, and there's a whole bunch of them, there are columns that will tell you the common name, the botanical name, whether it's a favorite of the some of these big-time birders. It'll tell you the USDA zones it grows in, the flower color, the bloom season, the height, the sun or shade exposure, annual, <laughs> perennial, vine, tree, shrubbed, whether or not it's deemed aggressive. And there's also a column that's got some notes in it from things that I just wanted to put on it. Well, would you go out and buy them for us also? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it sounds like you've done everything else. I've done all the research for you, and you know? it's up to you, okay? Let's go find them. So there were, just to name a few um, zinnias, you know, well, first of all, I was about to get sidetracked again. Mm -hmm. Okay, zinnias. um, Which are easy to grow. Oh, and the coneflower. I love the coneflower because Mm -hmm. the big bees get on the coneflower and you can can pet the bumblebees. Is a bumblebee a pollinator, though? Yes. I mean, I guess it has to be. Important pollinator. Yes, yes, if, a po- you know, important. Because I've read some bees don't really bumble pollinate. Bumblebees are what pollinate tomatoes. And, 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 and speaking of, you know, pollinating or bringing in these pollinators, like you mentioned a while ago, Veda, is also, I mean, some people call them companion plants. Hey, I was going to just say, you know, that's a companion plant. Yeah, a lot of people will plant companion plants mm-hmm. in their gardens, especially their vegetable gardens, because they do want to bring in a lot of these pollinators that do all the, you know, the heavy lifting for us. I mean, it's funny. You can do everything exactly right. And if you don't have pollinators out there, you're not going to get a yield. So it's good to have blooming things around the house. And like Jim list, it's also good to have blooming things around the house that Attract hummingbirds, right. you know? I'm going to try the dahlias this year in a container. But we've gotten dahlias in the bulbs or the corms or what are they called? Bulbs, tubers. corms, tubers. Yeah, yeah the dah- dahlia tubers. But there's all these new colors. So I want to try those out. And that's also great and for they, bees. Last year, as cold as it got, they uh, every one of mine came back. Yeah. That's great. I expect this, particularly this year, because it didn't get that cold. So you think there'll probably be bigger blooms since oh, they, they actually yeah. came the plant, back. The plants are bigger. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so y'all, y'all got to try the dahlias and asters. And you can start yeah. planting those anytime now, those yeah, spring bulbs. Yeah. Yeah. Other oh. than caladiums. Yeah. Man, there's so many bulbs to plant right now. There's jack-in-the-pulpit, trillium. Mm-hmm. Um, Different the dahlias, crocosmia, mm-hmm. all from bulb. And the begonias and the glads and the cannas mm-hmm. and the callas. And like Jim said, all the spring bulbs that are available right now, really mm-hmm. except for the caladiums. caladiums. You want to wait till those nighttime temperatures are in the 60s or above before you start putting your caladiums in the ground. Now, you can start them in containers, yeah. Uh, yeah. but not in the get ground inside, just yet. Keep them warm, get them started. You know, and if you want to make more foliage out of them, when you look at that, it's got looks like a little point where the growth's coming out. If you'll just take your fingernail and pop that out, just break it off. Hold on, so of the caladium the, uh, on the caladium, okay. and then turn the bulb upside mm-hmm. down and plant it, and you will get 
four or five times the amount of foliage. I say that, please, mm-hmm. one more time. I know we've only got like a minute, but say that one more time. Farmer, okay. Because when, I'm when a little you look, slow. If you're getting a good quality bulb, you'll right. have at least one and sometimes up to three or four of the eyes. Right. Okay. Well, you just take your fingernail and break them off. Okay. Gotcha. And then, and, but the eyes are usually at the top of the bulb. That's on the top of the bulb. Okay. And then you turn it upside down and plant it. Yeah, you're you're purposely planting this thing upside right. down. And what it does, it's going to slow it down a little bit, but you're going to get new eyes forming, and you'll get five or six to come off of one that's got two or three. That's how we, you know, for to make a caladium full in a pot, that's what we would do. And at the Botanic Garden, when I was buying caladiums for them, we would buy them pre-DI'd. I'll be darned. You know, so that we could do that, plant them upside down and get more foliage out of them. Pre-DI'd. Yes. You need to have, like, a gardening Facebook page. Well, we I'm telling you. one, you, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, um, that is really cool. Hey, you can do... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Kenneth. Killing me. No, he killing knows it was just a joke. <laughs> yeah. You can do elephant ears, too. You can plant those. Elephant yeah. ears, alocasia. Pointed in goes up on the elephant ear. Yeah. Okay. It's like, what'd you just say? Pointed in goes Pointed up. Pointed up. Uh, tulips. That we can't plant now, but I just wanted to say you can't flip the tulips upside down. No, no, right? Jim. The, yeah. There's no. just the caladiums. Yeah. Just the caladiums normally are the ones. I had heard that, that and wondered if it was a myth, but it must not be a myth since Jim didn't break the myth. No, it's so not it's a, myth. a for real. For I real. don't know if I'm. You know, I, I'm gonna have to check. That I don't out. know why it seems hard to do that to me. Yeah, to just turn it upside down. Flip that thing upside down. We'll do that too. I'm gonna have fun with both. We're gonna have an experiment and have, now. Listen, if it doesn't work, you know who's gonna be the first person to find out. Me, Jim Crowley. Yeah, I was going to say, that would probably be Jim, because, you know, we look at all kinds of ways to say, no, that myth that you busted is wrong. It's for real, but I can't find it. But I tell you what, I, I do believe him, so I'll, I'll do, do it and get, more, and get more foliage. It's fun. It's fun to know all that. At first, it was making me sad because you were kind of, all the things that were kind of fun that you were doing in your garden, like the eggshells and the coffee grounds. And now we're finding out not, but we have to go to a break and call us at 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And y'all have got to check out some of the new alocasias. Some have red stems oh, on hold them. On. Don't speak fancy terms. Alocasia meaning elephant ear. But there is a difference, isn't there? A difference between elephant ear and alocasia, or are they all in the well, alocasia family? You know, the thing about common names is you can use them on anything right. you want to. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Correctly, elephant ears are are usually when you're you're referring to a a calocasia where it points down. With a C. Calocasia. Calocasia and then allocation. Right. The allocations, for the most part, point upwards. Mm-hmm. The leaves. And, you know, although we call them elephant ears, they're really not technically elephant ears. Yeah. I guess, but we but still, that's what right. we yeah, call you know, them. Yeah. It doesn't Elephant matter. ears are down unless they see a mouse. That's right. And that's then they're right. straight up. And then it looks like an allocation. But what about those, though? I mean, I can just make Jim speechless it's just, sometimes. You know, it's so hard to work with these two. Well, but when we were growing up, for the most part, you know, elephant ears to me were the old-fashioned ears that point down, and they were just always green, just a mm-hmm. green elephant ear, just a big old bunch of them out there. Well, there's a whole bunch of them out yes. there that are just not green elephant ears, yeah. as you know. And that are hardy now. Yeah, yes, that's what I'm excited about. Different yeah. colors. Very, there's variegated. There's mm-hmm. greens that almost, I mean, uh, purples that almost look yeah. black. 
Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I've got some that are, if they're not black, I don't know what they well, are. Deep you purple, know. I'm telling you. They're uh, and they come back every mm-hmm. year. You know, so I've got some in a bucket, and I'm waiting for them to come back. But it's too early. But they're easy, and they're fun. You know, yeah. and, and and they'll grow. A lot of people think they only grow in quote shade. Mm-hmm. They can take full blazing sun. They can yeah. grow in moist areas. I mean, it's they're easy. That's the beginning of your tropical landscape is yeah. using the elephant ears. And if you're doing like in a sh- part sun, part shade spot, uh, some other things that look tropical are the aurelia. The Aurelia's got a real tropical-looking leaf. And even the figs, oh, that's yeah. a tropical-looking leaf. All right, the two products of the week, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, one is so many of us will go out there this spring, weather permitting, and plant our vegetable garden. And usually one vegetable in particular that we'll plant in the vegetable garden will be some type of squash, right? People love squash. We have to plant squash. Yeah, and then so you get the squash, it's growing, it's doing fine, and then all of a sudden it just wilts and collapses on you. And you find out that it's the squash cane borer, okay? Once you get cane borer in squash, it's typically usually just gone, okay? Or you don't even realize it's gone until it starts to wilt, and then there's no coming back. What I'm bringing this up for is there's a product that's been around for a long time. People just don't know to use it. I wouldn't plant squash ever in Memphis, Tennessee, unless I sprinkled Mm -hmm. these uh, vegetable and ornamental insect granules, which is nothing more than bifenthrin granules, around the squash plant when I planted my squash. Okay? Because the best curative for cane borers in squash is preventative. Okay. Yeah. And bifenthrin is a very safe granulated insecticide. You can even buy liquid, but in this case, I want to use the granules uh, around my squash, and it has a really good residual also uh, after you put it in the ground. Yeah, uh, and I, I would like to use the beneficial nematodes to mix into the soil um, because we have beneficial nematodes in our soil, but sometimes we don't have the, the, uh, enough organic matter to have the beneficial nematodes multiply enough to seek out the larvae yeah. because the nematodes seek out the larvae. Well, and you're right, Beta, because it, it's a moth that will uh, lay that egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the pupa stage of, of that moth is in the ground in your garden yeah. right now. Uh, so that's, you know, if you can kill it before it lays the eggs on the stem of the squash, then that's what you right. want to do. But if it gets in the stem, nematodes actually will still work in that case, too. You have to spray them on the, the crown or the crotch of the um, squash. But because the, the nematodes are so small, they can work their way into the squash to eradicate the So you're bore. saying either use beneficial nematodes mm-hmm. or use something benign like yeah. the granulated bifenthrin. Another right. great product, second one of the week, is the calcium nitrate. And the reason I'm bringing this product up, um, of course, calcium nitrate is a combination of calcium and nitrogen. It's, what, 15.5% nitrogen and about 19% calcium. But for anybody and everybody that's growing tomatoes and peppers, you probably need a bag of this on the shelf somewhere. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it promotes a really good growth. Uh, it definitely helps prevent blossom end rot where you get, you know, the, the black rot at the bottom of the tomato. And it really improves the uptake of the potassium, the calcium, and the magnesium. So um, just remember, calcium nitrate uh, that you just sprinkle a little bit around each tomato and each mm-hmm. pepper that you're planting. Of course, you can put it in the whole so garden. So we need that in our, for our tomatoes. So yeah. the, the, the bifenthrin granules, the mm-hmm. beneficial nematodes, and the calcium nitrate 
Remember those products okay. if you're having a vegetable garden. That's yeah. all I'm saying. And there is a garden tone that has everything mixed into it. And again, all these tones, they have all the ingredients together. Uh, but it's good to keep everything stabilized, keep all the nutrients and the minerals and all that in there. But again, if you're low on anything, the garden tone quickly won't fix that problem. If you're low on lime, then you're going to have to adjust the lime sure. with... Uh, with lime. With lime. <laughs> it's like, with what? Good plan. Yeah, with <laughs> what? I just lost my... My train of thought. But, but they're really, really good fertilizers. <laughs> Imagine that, Jim. They're completely organic, <laughs> you know, and typically you're not going to burn anything up, you know, if you're out there feeding midsummer when it's 98 degrees in the shade. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love using those products. But, but the calcium nitrate in particular around the peppers and the tomatoes, especially for that blossom end rot, and we all get that too, mm-hmm. uh, it does a really good job. And like I said, you can use it in the whole garden. So I'll be good with that. So I had posted on Jim's Facebook page. Um, what are y'all going to do in your garden this weekend? And I, man, so many great answers like smile and sit in the sun. Replace auto Luke and Laurel. <laughs> yes. Good plan. Yes. Always. Yes. Uh, work. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Like not in your yard. Try to clean up. Separating perennials, set yeah. out four rose bushes. Yeah. Uh, nothing yet going to be freezing temps this weekend. I'm like, he must be in a different area. But now it's almost going to be freezing temps. It's going to be very close here. So yeah. he knew something before I, before I knew, before the weatherman, actually. Hopefully finish weeding if the weather's still good. Uh, so everybody's doing weeding, taking stuff out of their greenhouse, uh, and no one separating. Said, and no one said anything about cutting down a tulip poplar? Nope. Not even. No. Okay. Not even. I was going to work but, in my yard, but, you know, that African violet show really sounds tempting. It does. Oh, <laughs> yes. And that's from 10 to 2 today at the Central Church at, what, 531? Well, I wrote yeah, something, South uh, 531 South McLean and 10 to 2. That would be a lot of fun, guys. That will be. Um, and I know we got Jamie. Can you throw in jamie real quick before we oh, jamie. jamie good morning jamie good morning boy y'all want i started not to call because y'all want such a roll <laughs> <laughs> well like i said we love callers we like to hear what's going on out there besides what us three know i certainly do yes <laughs> i don't know what jim meant by that no. <laughs> y'all hit on some of the things i thought i'm familiar with this mentioned the elephant ears uh, boy, I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm not an expert, but I grow those things really well. And you mentioned uh, they'll grow in full sun, but just throw the water to them. That's yes. exactly right. A lot of water farms that to do really, really. And well. I tell you what, Jamie, I've seen them. I mean, I've seen monstrous looking mm-hmm. elephant ears. Monstrous looking. I'm telling you. And really, the key is. And I asked this guy. I said, "What is your secret?" He would go in there every year when they die back and just. Fill this bed with ground-up leaves, okay? I don't even know if you can ground them up, I'll be honest with you. You talking about Tom? Yes. Yeah. And, and okay. every year he would uh, he'd, he'd make his rounds in his pickup, pick up all the bags of leaves, and dump them in this huge bed where he had these monster-looking uh, elephant ears. And you're right, good, good compost, a lot of compost in the bed, and keeping them things watered, like you said, Jamie, in the summertime, I mean, you can have, <laughs> you can have some big elephant ears. Yeah. Oh, boy, I had them almost to the top of the house at one point. Wow. Time. But anyway, I mean, uh, they were they really grow well where I'm planting them here. Well. And uh, I had a neighbor who, of course, I had to dig mine up every year and take them into the attic. 
Yeah, yeah. it was a real chore. But now mm-hmm. my neighbor next door brought a couple in that uh, that are winter hardy. I yeah. mean, they they yeah. they survived the winter. So, well, he just cuts them down to the ground and uh, and uh, gets out of the way. You can thank <laughs> global warming yeah. for that. Okay, <laughs> Jamie, we got about twenty seconds. And, and, and what Jamie didn't say was Jan is probably the one out there doing all the work. His wife, mm, Jan, Jan, you got to mm-hmm. let us know. All right, y'all hang on, 2605-926. Good morning, welcome back to Mid-South Garden, glad to have y'all here with us, you're listening to KWAM Radio. If you're having trouble tuning us in, listen to KWAMRadio.com. Mm-hmm. If you give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926, or of course, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and there's Miss Veda. And we had a texter, and i got to remind Jim, uh, Susan, um, was it Breland? Yeah, she texted in this morning. She said, uh, I lost all of my fruit trees because everything that I used to successfully kill the insects with have now been banned. And, Jim, that's got a lot of truth and that, to it. And that does. And that's one of the things I was going to talk about this morning is some of the issues, some of these chemicals that we've used for years. And, and I'm real still real comfortable using them, you know, if you're doing it right. Yeah. But you know, the EPA is, um, they're not as comfortable with it. Um, mm. You know, their, their science that they use, like they did with MSMA, is not good science. Mm. Um, you know, it's... It, unfortunately, you can have mm. uh, you can create the experiment to get the results that you want. I got you. And unfortunately, they're doing a lot of that because companies companies fund a lot of these research products. Yeah. So if they come to you with a product and they say, you know, we want to get this approved for fruit trees, um, they'll do that, but they'll also compare it to other products and they won't be as favorable and is it because we have to spray so much so often so often on fruit trees more or less yeah so we're getting fewer and fewer products now that have things like methoxychlor and malathion that we talked about which is the bonide fruit tree spray and that product is still on the market but this is probably the last year for it yeah a lot of these chemicals are going to come off malathion you know to me it's a good product because it's half-life is only like 12, 24 hours right. or so. Um, so it doesn't last very long. It smells like a dead cat, but it does. But, it does, but it's, it's, a does good, it's a good product, right? Yeah. So anyway, the, the issue is with fruit trees here. We have so many insects and leaf diseases that attack these trees that you have to be on a spray program. You, you could not pick a worse place in the country to grow fruit trees. <laughs> and that's true about a lot of things in Memphis, but this is tough here. And people um, do it. Yeah, pears require the the least amount of work, but if you're trying to get one that looks like the ones that come hmm. in the grocery store, it ain't happening, okay? <laughs> it's going to have spots on it. Um, you're going to get just insect damage. You're going to get plum cook 
curculios, yeah, just tearing your peaches all the pieces. Mm-hmm. And then you got peach tree boars, mm-hmm. and you got frogga and fly speck on grapes. And oh so, Lord, he's anyway. trying to convince us not mm-hmm. to plant a fruit tree. That pretty much, yeah. You know, a doctor I had had some land out uh, in, in East. Fayette County, I think, and, and he wanted to plant fruit trees out there. I yeah. said, you know, you don't. <laughs> you don't want to do that because you're going to have to go spray them. And finally, after the deer ate them all, he decided he wouldn't do that But anymore. But you're saying, Jim, I mean, really, if you want to be successful. You've with- got to do a program, and it's got to be religious about when you spray. And so my suggestion now is find yourself a really good all-seasons oil. Not neem, but an all-seasons oil. Mm-hmm. Your first spray program should be just as the flowers are pink but not open. Okay. And then after, at about 80 to 90% flower shower, you want to spray again. And then every two, 10 days to two weeks from there on out, and use that all-seasons oil. The oil does two things. kills insects by smothering them. But it also coats the foliage so that you don't get fungal growth on it. Yeah, why did you say not neem oil, though? Because neem doesn't stay in suspension very well, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're using it, it will, in a hose-in sprayer or a tank sprayer, it is not going to give you uniform coverage so, over that So you plant. really got to keep that agitated if you're using right. that product. Okay. Yeah, and so it's, it's, it's a good product, you know, f- but it's not... It doesn't do what I think it should do for fruit trees. Gotcha. So an all-seasons oil will do that. And now, you know, we're we're seeing some of the, the growers up in, in Middle Tennessee that are growing ornamental trees with a temperature well over 100. They're still using a all-seasons mm. oil early, as, early. Long, as long as everything's been moist. Mm-hmm. You know, they're well-watered and that the, they do it early morning or late in the evening. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so that would be my suggestion now is to move away from the fruit tree sprays since they're probably going to lose most of them anyway uh, to an all seasons oil and just do that every religiously two weeks. yeah and uh, there's no limitation that I know of on any plant for using that and uh, the only thing is you want to make sure that it, that any plant has been well watered uh, before it's sprayed, particularly as we get into the summertime when we have lots and lots of heat. And you know what that reminds me of? I mean, yes, people love planting fruit trees and they love harvesting, you know, the fruit from their labor. And yes, fruit trees take a lot of spraying. Uh, but like you said, Jim, if you just get on a program every two weeks, go out there and spray, it makes me think of, okay, a lot of people left growing roses years and years and years ago because it took a lot of spraying, right? Mm-hmm. And then they started coming out with roses that were almost disease and insect resistant. You know, you, it's just like the shrub roses, for example, where you don't really have to go out there and spray them. I wonder if they can ever, ever come up with fruit trees that will be more or less self-caring, where you don't have to go out there and spray them every two weeks. Probably not, or they would have done yeah. it by now. I would have. Yeah, you know, I don't see that happening. Yeah, me yeah. either. Right. Um, well, yeah. Go ahead. No, you go. <laughs> so I, there's like three things that have to be present to have a uh, disease issue. It's the environment, 
having conditions. a host, mm-hmm. and the pathogen. But they all have to happen simuta- simu- simultaneously at the same time. Thank you. <laughs> at the same time. They all have to happen at the same time. The environment, the host, and the pathogen. <laughs> but thank you because y'all just cover for me. Y'all and maybe nobody me. will notice. I can't say half of the words. Um, so... In the environment, that can mean the wrong plant in the wrong spot. It can mean growing a plant that doesn't grow here. Absolutely. Drought tolerant, um, does or had drought problems, mm-hmm. uh, not enough nutrition, mineral deficiency, pollution. So all that's kind of considered your environment, and which is really hard to control. So if you've got your environment off and you have a host tree and a pathogen... So mm-hmm. with fruit trees, they're not in their environment. Mm-hmm. So they're under a little bit of stress. So there you have one puzzle to the to the yeah, whole one piece issue. it's already against yeah. you. Yeah, you know? so we've got the environment going on. The host is the tree, yeah. and then the pathogens and they're out is there. what does the damage. And pathogens are always there, but these things it, have to happen all together. And they're all in the Mid-South, okay? <laughs> yeah. It's not like you, you go out to Oregon and you can plant a fruit tree and nothing ever bothers it, and it's beautiful and produces mm-hmm. a lot. But not here in the midside. Here, the other two things I want to talk about on fruit trees is one is so many of like the peaches, the plums, uh, they're going to have issues with bores. Okay, so permethrin is very very safe. You can use it even on the plant. I wouldn't do it when it gets really hot. But spraying the trunk and the ground around it because that's where they typically winter is a good thing to do with, you know, to control those. And and, yeah. and that's just a man-made pyrethroid. That's right. And even when it's hot in the summertime, I mean, it's 90-something degrees out there, same effect. You want to make sure you spray early morning or late in the afternoon. And it's um, a good product, too, to have around the house because you can, you can use it on your dogs, you know, for... But you can spray everything. Yeah, your ornamentals, your vegetables, everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is when you're planting a fruit tree, don't expect to take a fruit off of it for five years. Okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Plants are... Stupid. Okay, they can only idiots. Do, they're, they're like most of us. We can only do one thing at a time, you know. <laughs> and you. when well, the, when anyway. they're when they're making fruit, they shut. They don't produce much growth. So we need that plant to focus on growing for the first five years to build the scaffold to support the weight of that crop. So don't let it fruit. Pull them all off. Pull every one of them off. Don't. What if you're already buying a fruit tree that's like three years old? Then you wait. It, you're going to have to wait two to three more years okay. before at you least can two do. years. Then it, no. If if you're buying one that's six feet tall, <laughs> right? You gonna don't let it fruit for five years. That's gonna be hard right to do. because I, mine was three years old and had tons of little fruits all over it. And I knew I and just well, actually, I knew I wasn't going to be in that location for t- up to seven years. So I went ahead and pulled all the fruits off so except for like to do. one on each. It was so hard because they were beautiful. I mean, it's like buying the so winter coat proud. in the summertime. Yeah. You know, it's just it doesn't. So keep the fruit pulled off at least for two years, you're saying, Jim. At least five years. At least five years. Until that oh, tree is five painful. years old. I keep trying to get him to stay, too. I <laughs> know. Can and, you go with all three? All right, so what else? So you, you want to keep the fruit off for right. uh, up to five years. You want to make sure bores, you're spraying. Okay. And then use move towards an oil spray that will help control your insect and disease. And what about pollination? And well, you we never, like you never spray when it's in bloom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you need more than one plant out there to pollinate? Only, well... 
peaches are self-pollinating, mm-hmm. but they always produce better with a second tree. Mm-hmm. So um, apples, you got to have pollinators, and sometimes up to three pollinators mm-hmm. because some, like Arkansas black, are sterile. So you can pollinate it, but it can't pollinate the other one. And that's what I'm saying. So if you've so, got just one apple tree in your backyard and you're expecting apples. You, unless there's one nearby, you ain't getting any. Gotcha. Okay. So anyway, and we have a pollinator list. We have fruit variety list on, the, uh, on our Facebook group in the file section. Please uh, enjoy it. It's, it's there. And I think we're going to take a break here, and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Mid-South Gardening on KWAM. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You know, a plant that I'm all of a sudden, or I'm in love <clears throat> with now, is the spireas. Oh, yeah. I mean, before, you know, there was a couple of spireas, and they were nice, they were fine, and they just quite didn't do it for me, like all these new ones, like the Double Play mm-hmm. Pink Spirea. What I'm liking about these spireas, actually, are their foliage. Some foliage is almost blue. You ain't kidding. Some is kind of red. reddish. Reddish in, in fall colors. Yes, they're beautiful, and it's just a perfect all-around shrub. And, of course, some people's not going to like them because they lose their leaves in the winter, so maybe not plant it. But alone. You know, Spireas, they they're not naked very long. No. Right. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, you know, you lose <laughs> the leaves in November and mm-hmm. you know, mine have already got leaves on yeah. them, you know. So. That's a good point. Well, I'm with that's you though, Veda, because the old fashioned spireas, whether it was the you know, the the reeves or the broad of I mean, they're pretty within their own right. But they were typically just green foliage and some pink or white blooms, okay? Mm-hmm. Kind of inconspicuous to me. Yeah. But these new varieties that you're talking about that actually have beautiful blooms, but they also have that beautiful color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get beautiful fall color. Uh, it, it, I agree. It is really magic carpet is one in particular that yes, I just, yes. I mean, it's just yeah, the best looking nice spirea, I think, mm-hmm. out there. Because even when it's not blooming, you've got a good looking yeah. shrub. Well, I was going back through my pictures, and they were from, this is like highlights on Facebook page, and I think it was from like three years ago, and there was a little, I had a little plant, it was a botanic garden, a little plant, and this little piece that's hanging out of the container, and it said double place spirea. And you're like, this is not going to turn into anything. Right, and then I didn't ever think about it again. And now we have double place spirea in stock, and Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, see, it was they were trying it because the Botanic Gardens a lot of times has things before they're actually ready for retail. Doing trials out there. So, yeah, Spirea. And then the another plant of the month or shrub of the month, and I wrote it down last night, and we hardly ever say this word, is Lakothawi. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few people can even say that yeah. word. <laughs> but but, but Lakothawi, you know, first of all, they grow in shade to part shade. Yeah. Okay? Uh, and typically, Sometimes. Sometimes. And typically they are evergreen. Okay. And there are so many different new varieties on the market now. You know, years ago, it was always just the tall Lakota weed that mm-hmm. you would, that would just, to me, wasn't even a good looking Yeah, shrub. I didn't like it then. And no. It's not really a Lakota weed either. It's an agarista. Well, there you go. You yeah, know, it's getting all technical again on me. But these <laughs> new, <laughs> these new spireas, Jim, like the new one no, this Lakothi, year. Lakothi These ways. are true Lakota weeds that I, you're talking said about. And you said Well, Lakota weed. And, you know, the, <laughs> the name of the one I'm talking about in particular this year is called Looking Good. Okay? Mm-hmm. Thank go you. figure. Thank you. You're welcome, baby, anytime. <laughs> And it, it's just that, to me, it made me think, okay, these can grow in shade to semi-shade, 
typically speaking. Um, they're evergreen. They have beautiful foliage. I mean, the rainbow has, you know, variegated foliage. Looking Good yeah. has red foliage when it comes out. And to me, it's like, okay, it's almost like a replacement for yeah. Nandina. I've planted a few. I'm liking you know? them as well. Yeah. And, you know, because every time I mention the word Nandina, I get slapped across the room. Mm-hmm. People just don't no. know. No Nandinas in my yard. They say, nope. So keep in mind that there are other shrubs that are shade tolerant and that are evergreen that have beautiful, uh, you know, color interest on the foliage. Lakothaweed. Yeah, I planted a Lakothaweed axillaris, the rainbow Lakothaweed, mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, up underneath two big elm trees. Right. Okay. And it survived, but it never was really attractive. It was mostly green foliage right. instead of the multicolored foliage that you expect. But after I lost the two elm trees now, it's in full sun from about 10 o'clock on. Mm. And it has exploded in growth and color. color, Mm -hmm. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. Right now, the last year's oldest growth is white. And it's got new buds coming out on it that are uh, a vermilion red. They're Mm -hmm. just spectacular. Well, and it's kind of like what Veda was talking about, the spireas. I mean, I typically don't think of spireas as being Mm. a good-looking shrub. Mm. I never thought of Lakothaweed as being a good-looking shrub. And now they are Mm -hmm. with these new hybrids that are on the market now, Jim. Well, I have seen the same thing that Jim just said. I planted two, one that gets a lot of sun, but still was getting some shade because typically they're supposed to be more shady. And then I have one in the shade. Well, the one in the shade is just hanging and in there. shade is there. Again, it's such a relative yeah, term. Yeah, and then yeah. the other one is just fantastic. And it gets some shade, but not as much as that one under the tree. Yeah, The, the two spireas that I always thought were pretty was one that only I could get from from Monrovia, which was their lime mound, not mm-hmm. gold mound, but yeah. lime mound. Yeah. It was a brilliant chartreuse green. Yeah. Love that one. And Anthony Waterer, because yeah, it had the red flowers. I liked that one. You know? um, but the new ones, they're just so much better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't miss what you don't have. But That's then right. when these new ones come out, you're like, wow. You that know, this t- is a, such an improvement. corn. It, yeah. it is just spectacular. Yeah. Uh, and there are, what, there are several in the double play series. Yes, I can't remember all the names, but yeah. there is the red one, which I'm in love with. Yeah, they, and they're they're beautiful. They really are beautiful. Yeah, so check out your spirea today. And let me say this also real quick. Um, I was thinking about this last night. You know, they had the daffodil show last mm, weekend yeah. at the Dixon. And, of course, lots and lots of blooms and people. We have big, some great pictures on our Facebook group, yeah, too. Uh, but the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is after the daffodils bloom, we're stuck with that green yeah. foliage, okay? And just like Veda just did, she gave me a face yeah. like, uh-uh, let's get rid of it. <laughs> That's not what you want to do. Unfortunately. If you really want these things to come back and bloom the way they have the potential to do, you want to wait till four to six weeks after they bloom until this foliage that's left starts turning yellow on you. Then you can go in there and cut them back, put a little bulb tone, a bone meal, whatever, in the area. But I'm just bringing this up because, me included, Mm -hmm. the first thing I want to do to a daffodil is cut that thing to the ground the foliage and all after it blooms. Right. And it's actually... We, we have medication for that. Right. <laughs> it's called a weed. It, oh, wait. He is so OCD. <laughs> it, it, but, but I'm just, you know, and a lot of people, especially people that have lots of daffodils out there in areas, whether it's in a lawn or a natural area or even beds, 
when that bloom is gone, they want that foliage gone also. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm bringing this up. Re, don't re, just just cut just lean back for a second and don't cut that foliage off at ground level till about six weeks like i said after they bloom when that foliage starts turning yellow because that's really when it's storing a lot of that energy yeah all those sugars it's storing for the next year's bloom well i can tolerate it if i pull it all up together and then fold the top down and put a rubber band around it kind of tight yeah to keep it clean looking Mm -hmm. and purposed in the garden and some people actually braid it yeah but i mean it took a while to do it so and these were done in flower beds so i wanted the rest of the flower bed to look good so we turned we put them together and turned them over made it easier to prune later when the um foliage turned yellow but if you're in a pasture or if you've got like a bunch of them together just just let them stay yeah and then some people even plant companion plants around and with them mm-hmm. that way about the same time the foliage is kind of dying back naturally and turning yellow the other plants yeah. are coming up to hide that foliage yeah uh, whether it's daylilies and whatever you know ornamental lilies yeah and you see you a lot of that where mm-hmm. they're just hiding that foliage but i just wanted to bring it up because i know they're in bloom a lot of them are in bloom right now uh, and we hear a lot of complaints about that you know my daffodils aren't blooming this year and you find out well hey they've been planted too deep they need to be dug up and divided or they're cutting this green foliage back the day after they bloom, and that's just not the best thing to do. Keep that in mind. Wow. Okay, my brain just got full. We've been doing this for three hours, and I love it. It's and just wonderful. And we do wonderful. it every Saturday. And tell your friends, wherever they are across the country, that they can listen at kwamradio.com. Check the podcast out as well. Love to see you next weekend in the garden.